Blog Talk Radio. Vita Star. 
Again, On Blast will be the star, and we will be talking about the decriminalization of marijuana. MC Brooks will be her special guest. So, again, Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So, um, check in for that show. It should be a great show. And, again, they'll be talking about the decriminalization of marijuana, and I'm sure you all, if you aren't familiar with it, you've heard about how some states have basically decriminalized marijuana and, you know, you're, they're able to smoke legally. So I know in Illinois, especially here in Chicago, but the state of Illinois, basically they're setting it up that if you're caught with, you know, a minor amount of marijuana, it's a misdemeanor as opposed to a felony. So, again, you know, changes are happening across the nation. But, again, these are state laws. And the federal government is kind of going after some of these people in some of these states. So it should be an interesting conversation just to kind of give you all some insight um, as to, you know, what the conversation will consist of. There you go. Next Friday night will be the debut of Carl and Alfred. Carl and Alfred will start their show this Friday coming, and they actually will be talking about the Trayvon Martin trial and that situation there. So, and I think they may also talk about um, victimization and scapegoating as well, which kind of ties into the Trayvon Martin um, case there. So, again, you know, it should be a great show Friday. Saturday, of course, we'll have Raina, and that should be a phenomenal show as well. Sunday, we'll be doing part two of intersectionality. We'll be talking about that even more, taking it a little further. The Sunday after that, we'll be talking about rape culture. And that should be a very interesting show because we're not only going to talk about rape culture as it pertains to, you know, men violating women, we'll be talking about men violating men and women violating men and boys or what have you. So it's been a lot happening in the news. I've been extremely disturbed by some of the stories that have been coming through. And it's not that these issues are new. It was just not as reported you know, um, in the past. And if they were reported, we didn't have the Internet. And we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on. And let me see here. That would be Sunday the 7th that we talk about the rape culture. On Sunday the 14th, Raina and Mario will be headlining the show that Sunday. And I'm not quite sure what we're going to talk about yet or they're going to talk about, but that will be upcoming, and we will let you guys know was happening on that front. So, again, we're excited. Next week, the debut of On Blast with Vita, Thursday. Friday, the debut of Alfred and Carl, and they'll be talking about Trayvon Martin. Saturday, Raina. Sunday, we'll be talking about intersectionality. So it should be a full weekend next weekend, which, you know, I'm very grateful. And, again, thank you guys for, you know, being a part of this and for your support. So... There you go with that there, and there's been a lot happening in the news, but before I get into that, I wanted to remind everybody, there is a call for papers. The Women of Color Beyond Faith Anthology is taking submissions for abstracts. That is due by September 30th of this year, and again, is submission and abstract submission. So, guys, you all get a chance to put that in. Again, Women of Color Beyond Faith Anthology. It's a call for papers. So send that in. Dr. Hutchison would love to hear from you. 
I've sent it out to Twitter, Facebook, and it's in the room. So you should be able to get that information there. And also, those of you in the Los Angeles area, if you get a chance, um, Revolution Books, they will be sponsoring some books um, this next Saturday, a book fair. So Dr. Hutchison will be there, Joshua Bloom, Michael Slate. So you all get a chance to go out there and meet them. It's going to be at the Lemert Park Village Book Fair. And that's this Saturday, the 29th, from 10 to 6, and over there in Los Angeles. And we'll post information a little bit later. And it'll be booth LR-7. So if you all get a chance to get out there, you'll get a chance to meet Dr. Hutchison and a few other people. You'll have a chance to purchase Godless Americana. And possibly Mortal Kombat, she usually brings both. So, guys, you all get a chance to go out there and meet her. And also, you can find those books on Amazon and Infidel Books as well. So, for those of you that are interested, I'm telling you both books are great and they complement one another. So, that is what's going on over there. But, yes, 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 there's been a lot happening in the news this week. Our call-in number is 310-982-4273. Again, 310-982-4273. And I want to talk about a few things that have been happening over the past week. Um, a reminder to everybody, Dark Girls will be on OWN tonight. So if you all want to see that documentary, that should be on OWN tonight. And I am really looking forward to that been looking forward to that for a while. So if you get a chance, check it out, and I'm pretty sure you won't be disappointed. You know, Bill Dukes, um, I believe he directed that. And so it should be a really, really good documentary. I'm looking forward to that. Um, we had an issue this past week in the news with hair politics. And I know a lot of people are like, they feel as though we turn everything into, you know, some type of, political issue, but there was a school in Ohio that basically they're banning some natural hairstyles. They're banning Afro puffs, and it looks like box braids. And they didn't say whether that ban was for, you know, males or females or what have you, but um, it bans also mohawks, hair dye, and body piercings. And, you know, they put a letter out and they sent it out, but this is the Horizon Science Academy in Ohio. And, you know, there's a big uproar about that because it says Afro puffs and small twisted braids with or without rubber bands will not be permitted. So, um, you know, an Afro puff is a ponytail. So are they banning ponytails all the way around? You know, I'm just kind of, you know, a little curious about that. But, you know, what's been happening with that is, you know, there have been a lot of parents complaining about that, and I understand. So it's just foolishness uh, as far as I'm concerned. But just to kind of let you know what's happening there and what's going on with that, um, another story in the news that I found that people were in uproar about that I found, you know, rather ludicrous, but, you know, again, hey, the Muppets, the Muppet Show one of my favorites ever. Um, and it's not even a Muppet show of Sesame Street, actually, but same family there. Basically, they have a new Muppet on their show in which it's a young young man whose father is in jail. 
and people are upset about that. And it's very much a reality for some people. It's very much a reality. And they're saying that children are not mature enough to deal with that type of subject matter. And I beg to differ. These kids are smarter than most adults give them credit for. I know some young adults that are smarter than some adults that I know. So this is a very real subject matter. Um, this crosses all socioeconomic racial lines. Uh, it's something, it's a subject that needs to be dealt with. And if they can deal with it in a mature, sensitive, and compassionate manner, then why is it such an issue? Because I've seen households in which issues such as that and others have been ignored. And so you have children and some adults walking around, you know, not understanding what's happening around them, not understanding what happened in that situation. Um, Some of these children and adults are shamed. You know, they're embarrassed. In some cases, they're blamed. You know, and some of these people are scapegoated because when a family member goes to jail, in some cases, if it was something that happened in a local area, in the local neighborhood, sometimes, you know, the victim's family take it out on you know, the perpetrator's family. So, you know, there are a lot of different dynamics there, and we need to take all of that into consideration. But these are subject matters that we definitely need to talk about and deal with. And we can't keep sweeping this stuff under the rug. Look at look at what we're dealing with. Look at what we're dealing with just in general with um, society. So, you know, I think it's a good thing that this type of thing is starting to come out. People are starting to recognize and put some of these social skills and injustices on the front burner so that we can talk about it because I believe that talking about it is cathartic and therapeutic, even if we don't agree. You don't have to agree with me, and I don't have to agree with you, but, you know, we do need to sit down and talk about it. And that's one of the things that I'm starting to notice even more in this country is that, you know, Instead of talking about the issue, you'll see people deflecting and talking around the issue. And, you know, that leads me to our next story here, this Paula Dean fiasco. Now, I'll go on record and I'll say she has a right to say whatever she chooses to say. However... There are consequences and repercussions of words and actions. So, you know, those of you out there, especially the ones that like to send me little hate mail, to say whatever you want, but there are repercussions and consequences, definitely. Um, and she made her statement, and now she's dealing with the repercussions of some of the statements she made in the past. And, you know... For some of this, I want you all to just, you know, take note. Some of the uproar, especially with those apology videos, it wasn't so much that they weren't sincere. You know, some people felt that they were insincere. But just from my vantage point, just looking at it, she apologized to everybody but the black community, which I found interesting. She apologized to her friends, her family, um, 
but she didn't apologize to the community that was offended, you know, or those in the community that were, were offended because not everybody was offended, and I understand that. And, you know, and I will give her credit, you know, she was outright. Personally, I have a lot more respect for someone who will come right out and tell me that they do not like me because I'm black as opposed to someone smiling in my face and I can't figure it out. And, you're, you know, it's very covert. You know, I'd rather have you be an overt racist. I respect that because at least I know what I'm dealing with. But that's just my personal opinion. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is, you know, white privilege in action. Just look at this situation here. And it's not so much of her saying the N-word. There were some other incidents that I found that, were very disturbing. And basically, you know, when you go and you read the deposition and you're looking at the information, basically she said she refused to have her empire destroyed by a quote-unquote piece of pussy. And this is what she said. I'm not making it up. And you can go and read it for yourself. And basically she said, and I quote, if you think I have worked this hard to lose everything because of a piece of pussy, you better think again. End quote. Now, it's in a deposition. You can go and read it for yourself. And basically, she said she said it that day, and she would say it again today if it was applicable. So, you know, I thought that was interesting. But what I found most interesting was the fact that she wanted to stage a southern plantation-style wedding. But she didn't put it on because the media wouldn't understand. Not because it would offend black people but because the media wouldn't understand. And, again, where is the accountability in all of this? It's because the media wouldn't understand. She apologized to her friends and family. But what about the people that are being caught up in the middle, in the crosshairs of this, you know, the communities, the minorities that are being offended? I guess nobody cares how we feel. Nobody cares how this further perpetuates stereotypes. And, 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 you know, she seems like a real genuine, she seems like a nice lady. And I just, you know, I just need for them to take it a step further because, you know, you have the apologist out here. It's not so much about the fact that, you know, the media wouldn't understand, why would you think that that was just a good idea and that it was acceptable? And I really don't think she thought about it. You know, you know, I just think it's so ingrained in some people that they don't think twice about these things. I remember um, several years back, you know, this was almost 20 years back, and I was working at this one establishment. And this older white lady came in, and she brought in some jewelry because, you know, we used to clean the jewelry and appraise it, blah, blah, blah. And so she brought me, you know, a ring, and I took it and, you know, was looking at it and appraising it and gauging the size of the diamond and checking out the color and clarity and all of that. And basically, you know, I cleaned it up for her just to be nice, and I gave her the ring back. And she said, well, that's shinier than a nigger's heel. 
And let's just say my boss and everybody else, they cleared the room. They absolutely cleared the room because they didn't know what I was going to say or do to this lady, and they didn't want to bear witness to it. However, all I said to her was, can you explain to me what that means? She turned bright red and she left. And they came out of hiding, of course. And so I'm going around to all of them and asking them, well, what does that mean? And it was just interesting because she came back a week later, her and her husband, and I asked her, you know, her and her husband, I'm like, you know, I'm kind of offended, but I'm not really offended. And the reason why I'm not as offended as I possibly could be is because I don't understand it. Can you tell me what that means? And they got embarrassed, apologized yet again, and left. They never came back. And to this day, I still don't know what it means. Shinier than a nigger's heel. You know, maybe somebody could inbox me and tell me what the fuck that means, because to this day, I still don't get it. But, you know, again, when you're dealing with some of these older people, especially that were born during that time era, um, there's no telling what may come out of their mouths, because it was once accepted. And while it's not accepted now, Um, They have to understand that, you know, we have evolved culturally. We have evolved, um, you know, nationally. There are a lot of things that have changed, and they need to understand that, and they need to accept that, and they need to evolve and grow just like the rest of us. So, you know, the whole thing was interesting, but Food Network dropped Paula Dean, which I found, you know, quite interesting. And some of her people are talking about they want to basically, um, you know, boycott Food Network because, you know, the network was, you know, basically they jumped the gun on the situation. But, again, the whole thing is, you know, rather unfortunate. And, well, now she has some time on her hands. So I guess when the Masters come back to Savannah, She'll have a little extra time on her hands so she can make some watermelon tea and some fried chicken and serve it to Tiger Woods since everybody keeps suggesting that he try it. So, you know, she'll have some time, and I guess they can go out and sit under the weeping willow tree while the Southern Baptist Gospel Choir, you know, gives them an A and B selection of old Negro spirituals, right? While Kizzy and Toby pills them some grapes. So... You know, it should be interesting, you know, how all of that works out. But, (laughs) you know, hey, I wish them all the best, you know. But, again, like I say, you are entitled to say what you want, but understand that there are consequences and repercussions. And that's all I have to say about that. So to Paula Dean and her crew, we give them a big old... Alrighty then. So, and moving on, you know, a couple of the stories that we saw in the news this week that had me actually rather upset was there was a story about this woman who allowed her boyfriend 
to rape her child, her toddler, and she held her the toddler's hand to help ease the pain. What's happening? What's happening? I read stories about boys that sexually assaulted other boys as part of the hazing ritual. There were stories about teachers, female teachers, having sex with male students. This is why we're going to do the show on rape culture in two weeks. And we're going to talk about it all. We're going to be we're going to be discussing female to male, male to male, male to female, female to female. You know, there have been some cases in which women sexually assaulted other women. We're going to talk about it all. And, again, you know, what happened to these individuals? If this woman held her baby girl's hand while she allowed a man to assault that child, what happened to her? Was she a victim of, you know, child rape, sexual assault? Or was she so caught up in keeping that man around that she allowed him to talk her into anything and everything? And it's not just women, it's men too. The whole thing, just, you know, mental health care, the funding for that has been cut and cut and cut. And it's been stigmatized so badly that people don't want to get the help that they need. And we need to encourage people to go and get the assistance and get the help that they need. And especially because these children, especially these babies, they're being victimized. And I'll say it yet again. And, you know, I heard Emily also repeat it on a show this past Friday, her and Mario, in which we, in, you know, which they stated that we need some type of movement for children. I am a big advocate for that. I have been saying that for a while. These children are people, they have voices, and they should not be subjected to that that type of mistreatment. It's just wrong on so many different levels, wrong on so many different levels. One story I forgot to bring up, and my apologies here, um, is the Moral Mondays in North Carolina. And I've brought it up a couple of times on the past couple of shows, but I want to bring it out again. It's in the ninth week. It's in the ninth week, and this needs to be happening across the country. It's time for us to get out there and start protesting. It's time for us to get involved more in local politics, not only state politics, but city and town, you know, whatever you, village, whatever you live in. It's time to get started in in politics and making a change. And when I say get involved in politics, you know, some of us may decide to run for office, but also we need to be informed about the, the different laws that are being passed and what's happening and being able to go in and get that information and explain it to people who may not understand what's happening. And, again, you know, we have to become more involved, um, and it's, it's just it's out of hand. It's, it's definitely out of hand, and this affects all of us. So it's important that we do that, but, you know, I'm going to switch back to the subject that I was on 
about rape culture and what I found interesting in this one around and I know they talked about it on um, Friday's show about Serena Williams. And we're going into our topic now. You know, I'm just going to segue into our topic and the topic today is victim blaming, shaming, and scapegoating. And that's basically what we're going to talk about. But Serena Williams um, basically made a comment about the Steubenville rape victim. And she basically was saying that the young lady should not have put herself in that position. Now, since then, you know, they've um, modified her comments. And basically she, you know, kind of backtracked up out of this situation. And we have to stop this. We have to stop automatically blaming the victim or saying that some of these people or some of these women or whomever had it coming to them, and we have to hold rapists responsible for raping people. You know, we can't make excuses for their behavior and, you know, and don't condone the gray area of consent. Not at all, you know, and you basically stop telling women what to wear, how to avoid rape or situations that may, you know, keep them out of harm's way. We should be telling these men not to rape, you know, um, just because, you know, a woman is out and she wants to wear a short skirt or she's drinking, she can walk down the street butt naked and be sloppy drunk. That does not give you the right to harm her. You do not have permission to harm her or to rape her. So basically um, we have to do better. We have to do much better at this. Um, There is an incident down in Atlanta where four Morehouse students, have been accused of rape by a Spelman student. And when she reported the crime, basically she was fearful that she was going to be ostracized and shunned. And we talked about this before. And that's exactly what happened. Um, She was ostracized. She was shunned. Um, And unfortunately, in some communities. Sometimes the victims of crime, they're afraid to come forward. They're afraid to report it because we've been taught that we would be traitors to our race and our community if we were to put another you know, member of our community in particular, a man, a black man, in jail. And that, you know, black men have been victimized so much that how dare we victimize another. But a crime is a crime is a crime. And someone in the chat room saying telling men not to rape is, you know, simplistic and is, is very simplistic. And it is a very complex issue. But we have to start somewhere. And, you know, education, all of that, you know, that plays a part. Right. And someone says, don't ask why the victim stays, but why the abuser abuses. And victimology is topic always forgotten. Exactly. And, and that's true. And we have to do better at this. Um, 
we have to create safe spaces, safe havens for these people to come and to report, you know, any crime that has happened and not try to cover or make excuses for the perpetrators of these crimes. Another example is what happened up at Penn State with Sandusky. The whole university system covered for this man. They knew about this. They covered it up, and the one person who witnessed it and took the information back, they promoted him to silence him. They bought his silence. And this happens more often than not. You know, if if they're not buying your silence, they're threatening the silence. And, And that's, you know, we have to stop that. We have to stop it. Pain is pain. A victim is a victim. And they didn't deserve to be mistreated or hurt or mauled or killed or what have you, whatever the situation may be. Um, another example was Landon Gamble over at the University of North Carolina, UNC. And she was allegedly raped. And then the university threatened to expel her for reporting her rape and told her that she was creating an intimidating environment because she reported her rape. And this is the university. There's no excuse for this. Absolutely no excuse for this at all. And this has been happening across the board. And we we have to do better. We have to do better. Um, and again, I just find the whole thing disgusting. And, you know, never imply that a victim, you know, is at fault for, you know, whether it's their rape or any type of violation. But, yeah, no. No, 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 no. The victim is never at fault. And we have to do better than we've been doing, especially in this country. You know, there's been a lot of different, you know, scenarios in which, you know, the victims have been blamed and shamed and scapegoated. You know, um, and not only in this country, other places, because, you know, right here it says from Mexico to Sudan, women who survive brutal sexualized violence are forced out of their homes, divorced, and killed. Men chastise women who have been raped, such as in this instance in Burma. And it says basically, quote, prostitute, if you want to sell sex, we will build you a small hut in the jungle, end quote. One woman's husband said after a soldier raped her, quote, you can sell sex there, end quote. Her own children told her, whore, you are not our mother. Don't come see us anymore. She was just turned out into the street because a soldier raped her. How is that right? How is that fair? You know, we definitely, we have to look at these issues and, you know, go beyond that. And, no, I haven't forgotten about the church. That's coming up. That's definitely coming up. And, you know, someone in the chat room, Terry, says from his experience, focusing on the victim will lead you to understanding the offender, but it's not conventional to think that way. And so, yeah, you know, it's just, it happens. It happens, and it's not right. Um, From Slutwalk, you know, they have some pointers about, you know, victim blaming. And, again, it talks about, you know, a person's attire, um, 
you know, should not make them likely to be a victim of sexual violence. You know, um, don't we all have an individual responsibility to prevent sexual violence? And basically, if you walk down a scary alley at night waving wads of cash, you should expect to get mugged. Likewise, women who show skin should expect to get raped, right? You know, so, you know, and, you know, right there when they said right, you know, they're kind of, you know, showing you the idiocy in in those particular statements there. Um, It's just, you know, there are a lot of different issues um, happening here, and we have to understand the consequences of victim blame and shame. You know, someone brought up the church. There's a lot of that happening in the church. You know, I'm looking at my notes here, and, you know, we can skip down to that area now, but, you know, with religion, you know, that's where, you know, quite a bit of this comes from, um, at least from my experience and what I've seen, whereas, you know, the victim is being blamed. And, again, for those that want to call in, the number is 310-982-4273. And, again, 310-982-4273. You must press 1. I see we have Deborah that wants to speak with us today. Yes, good How are you there, Deborah? How are you doing? How y'all doing good. today? Good. How are you? Good. And yourself? Fine. Oh, I'm doing Excellent. fine, honey. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it, it, you, you, the subject to you on is so great. You know, we need to discuss it. You know what I'm saying? Really. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, going to the religious part of it, you know, blaming the victim. Again, you know, when I was in religion and what I still see to this day is in some cases, and, again, we're not going to scapegoat religion. We don't do that on this show. And, you know, we'll point out if something is wrong, but, you know, you know, religious people, especially black religious people, have been scapegoated quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And we need to challenge that as well. Even in the atheist community, you know, we need to challenge when we see people scapegoating, you know, certain people, if you will. But, you know, you're taught to a certain degree to blame the victim. Look at some of the stories in the Bible. Yeah. And, you know, but we'll get to the stories in the Bible in a minute, but one thing that I've seen firsthand and have been, you know, quote, unquote, a victim to as well is they'll tell you if you give this amount of money, if you pray, if you have faith, then God will bless you or bless your relatives or bless whatever endeavor that, you know, you may happen to be a part of or aspiring to. And when it doesn't work, again, you're told you didn't have enough faith. You didn't pray enough. Or you didn't put enough money in tithes and offerings. You know, and then they'll turn around and say, well, look at Pastor or some of his cronies or relatives, you know, and say basically look at how they're doing. They're doing fine pastor and deacon so-and-so or reverend so-and-so, they're blessed and highly favored. Mm-hmm. However, with the advent of the Internet, a lot more is being exposed. Mm-hmm. So for those, you know, people who were trying to say, you know, that the leadership in religion does no wrong, and that all must be well because look at them and look at their lives. 
they're not saying, you know, that too, too much anymore because with the Internet, all of these stories are coming out. People are finding the courage to report these crimes, you know, uh, just, you know, the misappropriation of funds. Um, You know, one particular pastor in Houston is telling his members that if they sow a seed, if you will, I believe it's $52, to help buy new blades for his helicopter. Now, mind you, he and his wife, they arrived at church in a helicopter, you know, so they don't have to deal with the traffic. You know, they've gone beyond a Maybach and a Rolls Royce. They have a helicopter, and they actually have a helicopter business, and they lease their helicopters to the city of Houston. So that's why I tell you all, you need to understand the business of these churches. And if they basically sow a seed of $52 to help buy new blades for the helicopter, God will give them a car. You know, and it's just, wow. And I think he told, you know, he gave them a time frame, you know. And I wonder, hmm, I had to speak to some of my legal scholars out there. Since he made that promise and he said that if we sow a seed of $52, maybe black free thinkers should sow a seed. And if I don't get no new damn car, can I sue? Just makes me wonder. But, you know, we won't contribute to that badness. But, uh, you know, the whole thing is interesting. we got Travis on the line with us here. Hey, Travis. Hey, Kim. How you doing? You know, when you're talking about state building, I saw – I'm doing well. I saw a lot of people um, blaming the victim on this helicopter preacher madness. And people would say stuff like, well, anybody who would send him $52, they deserve to lose it. And that ain't the truth. That ain't the truth. Right. If someone has you um, brainwashed, you can't, you know, uh, I'm not going to blame the brainwashed person. Like, so I don't hate the believer. I hate the belief. Okay? I don't hate the, the person who's tricked. I hate the trick. And this guy has these people tricked. So there are a lot of people exactly. who treated the people who were members of this fellow's church. I'm sure like, the first time, you know, he might have asked for $20 you know, for, you know, cufflinks. You know, who knows what he was asking for? You know what I mean? He wants some expensive gold, you know, $100,000 cufflinks, and I need $20 from all of them. Who knows what else he did to them? Who knows what other lies he told them? Who knows That's right. how, hmm? No, I said you're right. And, you know, he, you know, there are a lot of things that are, that are happening, not only in that church, that church, but churches across the nation. And that particular pastor, his daughter wrote an expose book. About him, and his you know, what? this is the history. His daughter wrote an expose book about how she was disowned. His wife had a child before they got married, and he adopted the young lady into the family. You know, when they got married, he adopted the young lady, and as they got older, you know, there were some issues, and the young lady, you know, basically fell out of favor with her parents. And they disowned her. So she wrote a book a couple of years ago. I bought it, as a matter of fact, and I still have it. It's in my um, other bedroom. But, um, you know, then she exposed some of the things of the church. And, you know, again, he had her blackballed. She's still a minister, but he had her blackballed, so she's not able to, you know, go to as many churches. But 
is a lot more of these stories coming to the forefront, a lot more of this being exposed. And, you know, again. She she called the BS on the church, but she's still preaching? She's still preaching, but she's no longer preaching at the Father's church. Right. Okay. Um, I think it was Ingersoll that said, um, why don't churches trust each other? Because they know each other. Mm-hmm. That's why they can't come together. That's exactly why they can't come together. Mm-hmm. So they know each other. Mm-hmm. Look, if I told you that the uh, I close my eyes and the invisible talk to me, and then you tell me, well, I close my eyes and the invisible talk to me, and then I go, well, you're a liar. And then you go, well, you're a liar. Well, that's when we're both telling the truth. <laughs> we yeah. both know that the other one lied because we're a liar. That's right. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And basically, you know, again, they do know each other, and they cover for each other, and that's one of the things that they are taught. And one thing that's, you know, taught often and that they believe in and covering for each other and let go and let God or they'll try to discuss it, you know, on the back end. But yet the victim is basically, um, you know, again, re-victimized. And that's the reason why it's important that we have these shows like this so that we can show people. I mean, again, you know, we're not going to scapegoat religious people or the church for some of the things that have been happening. There are some women, and I've seen this firsthand, in these churches that have been victims of domestic violence. And they've been told to stay in that relationship, stay in that marriage, because if they leave, then basically, you know, they're defying God, they're going against the Bible, and that they will be cursed with a curse in some situations. And And some of these women have lost their lives. Yeah. And in some cases, the children see, you know, these women, you know, being beat, raped, just a lot of different situations. And then some of them grow up to think that that's okay. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, it's a vicious cycle. It's a mm-hmm. vicious cycle. And, you know, we need to address those particular issues, you know, that doctrine. You know, I, you know, I just can't get with it. It's an antiquated doctrine. It's antiquated dogma. The church is starting to implode. And, you know, what I find interesting is with some religious people, you know, again, they've been victimized as well, and they've been scapegoated in some situations. And that's even coming from the atheist community, and I'm going to hit on something um, in a few minutes as far as the atheist community is concerned. But some of these, you know, religious people, they turn around and victimize other folks. See, you know what they say, shit rolls downhill? Because, you know, again, we have the issue with the LGBTQ community and, you know, the religious community and the conflict that is coming there. But we'll get to that in a second. We have a caller from 202. May we ask who's calling? Um, This is Curtis Maples. Hi, Curtis. Hi. Hey, how are you? Hi. I yeah, wanted how are to you? Uh, speak to. Oh, I'm doing well. Um, I wanted to speak to the point about the pastor and the helicopter, about the church, and just, um, I guess, the umbrella topic of uh, church victimization in general. Um, yes, one sir. thing had come to mind 
when you guys were talking. Um, I read a book about uh, Joseph Yellow Kid Will. He's one of the uh, most prolific con artists in American history. He wrote an autobiography. And in the foreword, he says, he makes the point, and I'm paraphrasing, you can't con an honest man. Everyone who's ever been conned is usually done so in the attempt to be greedy or get over on somebody else. And that's of particular interest as far as the church is concerned, especially prosperity um, theology. You know, Creflo Dollar and the others, uh, Benny Hinn and those, it would be, it's utterly a a cornerstone of prosperity theology is the belief that if I do X, God is going to give me ten times of whatever I got. So now it's a matter of getting something for nothing, right, and getting more than my fair share because the whole concept of religion, it all appeals to getting something that I didn't earn with minimal effort. Either you got great, you talk around words like grace, like favor, and things of that nature. So when we say, okay, well, these are victims, I would caution the blanket statement of these are brainwashed victims because these are people that in an attempt to get something they didn't earn are, is being conned by somebody. And it's very difficult to, you know, realize that you're the victim of a con when you're in the process of doing so yourself. The whole exactly. doctrine of Christianity is, the victim? you know, based on that. But isn't that blaming the victim right there? Because that's trying to say, well, well, uh, they really wouldn't be over there if they weren't kind of greedy themselves. Well, some of them were told that whatever is in the Bible or by whatever preacher is true when they were a child, and their mind was completely unequipped to defend itself, and they're just stuck. The key word in that sentence is some, however. I didn't say all, but of course oh, yeah, you have you some people all. that are like that. But, you know, the the whole thing, and I'm saying we should, there are some victims legitimately, but we should caution against the notion that everybody who gets taken in a con is necessarily a victim. Well, that's not, it's not true in financial crime, so why would it be true with, uh, you know, any other thought? Because me, you know, you got human thoughts, right? You got human cognitions and things of that nature. And people can, are prone to believe any number of things. But humans are far from software programs who are necessarily slaves to their, you know, programs. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, that's a a nurture versus nature debate all day. And there are instances where you cannot stray from your initial parental programming. But with the church specifically, you have an entire doctrine. It's not even about the belief itself, but if you strip that down to its more primitive notions, it's just another way of the very human, you know, tendency to want to get something for nothing or something for minimal effort. Take away Jesus, take away all the Bible, take away all that. Essentially, it's me getting salvation, you know, for nothing. It's the highest, the pinnacle of injustice. And they're participating in this system willingly. They give their tithes every Sunday just so they, under the premise that they're going to get something that they're not even talking about equal in weight. They're not talking about I get 10% of my salary and I get that 10% back at a later date or, with, or even with 3% interest. They're talking about thousands of percent return on my money. That's the height of greed. But, but, let's, balance, but let's, let's, let's balance it out. Let's balance it out because I understand what you're saying, and I say the same thing in some scenarios that it's like playing the lottery. It's like a pyramid scheme. 
the way that some people, right. you know, with religion. So, I mean, I understand exactly where you're coming from. But also we have to take into account with some of these pastors and these ministers, they understand the psychology behind this. They understand that some of these people are desperate. They are desperate uh-huh. to climb out of poverty. That's they true. are desperate That's to be healed from a sickness. You have all the ways. So it's kind of complex, and I understand where you're coming from. And I agree with, you know, the premise of your statement there. But we have to also take it into account that, you know, there are extenuating circumstances out there. And, again, you know, how many times exactly. do you have to run into a group exactly. ball to realize you don't want to take that route? I understand perfectly. I understand, but I'm trying to be right. careful and I'm trying to be compassionate and sensitive because for some of these people, it doesn't matter what we say or how much evidence that we give them. All they know is that they're poor, they're sick, they're desperate, and they don't want to be any of those things anymore. And they hear someone giving them a promise and giving them that book, and this is what they've been taught generation after generation. Well, why would Mama and them lie to me? Big Mama and all of them, you know, this is what they told me, and they were just fine. Not realizing that, you know, um, that Big Mama and all of them kind of lied to them. Go ahead, hon. Mama was a good person. And but Mama didn't have the internet to check. Okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I agree. Right. With I mean, that. I have the same issue. Um, I, I have mean, the same I agree issue. with his premise you know. that, that the prosperity sermon is just a, some somehow they combine the ruthlessness of Amway and different multi-level marketing things. Exactly. And, exactly. And exactly. mixed it into the, the church. I get that. I get that. But but that's a good trick. That means that the people, look, religion um, used to, the priest used to pray um, for you to get well when you had a sickness. But when we get doctors, they took all that away. So now they got the soul, <laughs> okay? And, exactly. But most, people don't, but most people don't know that at all. Most people have no idea that there's um, other holy books that have not Adam and Eve, but Adama and Eva. And it's a better story. Exactly. Okay, but they but they really exactly. don't. Well, can I, can I they don't know. You guys, they don't know they don't that don't there are three or four they Jesuses. They don't want to know. Yeah. Exactly. But okay, this is the question. Not to know. Is that human if nature? Somebody, is that human nature, or is that something we can teach out? Because it's not just with, as you pointed out, with Amway and MLM. The, you know, the it it's a complex issue simply because how much of you know. Not necessarily with rape, but in terms of the victimization that comes with a lack of critical thinking. How much of that is the is, is cognitive excrement coming from, you know, our very human aversion to making type 2 errors, right? We don't want to make type 2 errors. That's, that's human nature, right? How much of What's that a type two error? can we come A type 2 error is when – the example that um, – uh, I forget his name, but um, Shermer, Michael Shermer uses as the basis for human irrational belief is that humans don't want to make type 2 errors, so we tend to make type 1 errors. An example that he uses is a, bush, a rustle in the bushes, right? If you're a rustle in the bushes, it could be a tiger or it can be the wind, right? A type 1 error is to assume that it's a tiger when it's really the wind. You're wrong, but it's a safe wrong, right? So you assume that all rustles in the bushes are tigers, right? Because you're going to be... You're going to be wrong all the time, but you're going to be safe most of the time, right? 
Now, a tiger error is assume that it's a win when it's actually a tiger and you die, right? We have an extreme aversion to, to wanting to make type 2 errors, so we believe all kinds of irrational things. Exactly. But we got to take into consideration commodities. So we're going to talk about irrational, you know, thought processes, you know, combine that with conspiracy theories, because I just got to go there. A lot of that is because people feel hopeless. They feel hopeless. They feel helpless. They feel, um, you know, that they're, you know, losing out, that, you know, that they're the victim. And in some cases, this is how they lash out. They're basically throwing spaghetti at the wall and trying to see what sticks. And a lot of well, that wealthy people are in church that. too. Wealthy well, people donate to churches as well. So, I, so the, the, the premise that they're necessarily hopeless—that might not. I'm thinking it's a it's a human thing that our society leaves unchecked because wealthy people do ridiculous things with their money all the time. You know, especially in the oh, mega churches who attract wealthy benefactors. Because I mean, look at what happened and to him. All that money, all that money that he gave a couple dollar, and now he's facing some exactly. serious financial issues. So you know, no, it's not just relegated to people of you know on the lower rung of the socioeconomic you know ladder that we have in this country, but you know, basically, you know, again, it's about putting the information out there. That's why we keep doing these shows, and we keep putting the information out there, inundating, inundating them with knowledge and information. And you know, um, education. It's it's important that we do that. But while we're doing that, we have to make sure that again we don't revictimize some of these victims or scapegoat them for the simple fact that right. they already feel bad. They already feel as though you know, again, that the world is against them. That um, you know, that pretty much they've just been shitted on. You understand? So that's right, 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 right. So, you know, we we have to be careful. And like I said, we have to look at the whole picture because, again, you know, you can't a lot take of these human people element are... out. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, you you know, that, and that's why that, that was the premise of my point. You know, human beings are prone to certain things, but we are both negative and positive in equal, equal measure in our capacity to do things. So the person that victimizes, you know what I'm saying, uh, anyone who says, well, they shouldn't have been in church, da-da-da-da-da, or she shouldn't have worn a skirt, da-da-da. They are as wrong as the people who are ignoring the fact that there are, A, women who lie about rape, and, B, there are women who leave themselves, who suggest that, right? To ignore both sides of the coin is equally ignoring the human parts of it. You can't take the good without the negative and vice versa. And that's what I would caution about especially the pastors and churches, saying that, okay, everyone's a victim or no one's a victim, right? Those two statements are equally um, not telling the story. But isn't right. it just a long and that was time um, trick? It's just a long, old trick. So, like, you know how yeah. black folks have, like, really long churches? My guess is that, that came from when we first were allowed to read that book and have our own services yeah, you'd make that server as long as you could to keep your ass out the field. Just like when I was in boot camp right. in the Marine Corps, when I was in boot camp in the Marine Corps, I would go to church on Sunday to have them people leave me alone for half of the day. Exactly. And I like, slept. I, I, oh, please, Pastor, please tell me something about Genesis so I can not go back to my platoon and be running around doing silly shit. 
Right. You think and I'm lying? I'm telling the absolute truth. They're either, either going to put you on KP duty or latrine duty if you stay back. So that's it. Yeah. That's you're right. I'll be But it's also like the girl at the club, too. You know what I'm saying? When you go to the club, you stay for four hours. You are ten, you are you have a higher probability of taking somebody home a liquor adjusting for liquor at the at three o'clock in the morning than at ten. Because as you are exhausted, as you get tired, as you've been sitting in a place long and been droned at, you are much uh more susceptible to suggestion as time goes on. You know, it's just uh, you know, again, that's just human that's human nature. So you got church droning on for hours, someone talking at you. Not to mention it's emotionally charged, not to mention your own biases. Because pastors do fifty percent of the work. People lie to themselves more than any other lie that'll ever be told to them in their lifetime. Half they the may lie to themselves. But the pastor has them coming over there two or three times a, re, uh, a week to reinforce the message to keep them brainwashed. Exactly. So that's all. And but now look at her. So, uh, but and if you really think about it, look, think about the look uh, a believer has on their face the first time they meet one of us, and we tell exactly. them, uh, well, maybe that's exactly. true. They I never thought about it. Might not be true. Okay. For me, exactly. I exactly. I was an inquisitive kid, and yeah. and the first time somebody said to me, "Well, if, even if somebody was from another country and they never even heard about the Bible, and then then they died, they're going to hell." I was done. I was done right then. I knew something was wrong with it. Right, right. Especially they black. Yeah, don't be black and Asian. You're absolutely right because it's important that we counteract what a lot of them have been taught. And you know, I'll be the first one to say I used to be a believer, you know, and I'm still deprogramming myself. I'm still deprogramming. Mm -hmm. I'm still evolving. I'm still learning, which is why I have so much compassion for believers. And why I'm kind of putting the thumb down a little bit on atheists because we're over here. We're supposed to be doing better. We're supposed to know better. We're supposed to be educating ourselves. And instead of turning around and pointing the finger and re-victimizing a set of people in which many of them don't know any better, they don't know any better. Some of them do, but some of them don't. You know, instead of, you know, creating a situation in which they feel even worse about their situation, we need to be creating not only alternatives, but we also need to be creating an environment in which they are comfortable asking us questions and won't feel as though we're trying to make them feel stupid or dumb. I have a problem you know, with Kim, that. I agree with that, but that's hard. I, you know, that's I agree a lot harder that. in the town, though, because I'm cynical. I, um, over I, the know, years and looking back through history, you know, people fight entire wars over disagreements, over political, philosophical, uh, philosophical ideology. So me being acutely aware that there's a line to where they're not going to get it. Now, that's fine, but the problem is these people vote. One, they have weapons. Uh-huh. So the question now becomes how much, am I, how much compassion and patience am I to give them before I need to politically oppose them? How, am I going to wait? Am that. I going to let them put evolution in schools? Now, am I, how many schools have to fall to it before I quit? I agree with that. I'm not talking on the political level. 
on a political level, I feel that we need to get out here. We need to vote, and that's why we have to educate them to show them how by, you know, actually trying to turn this country into a theocracy, not only will we suffer, but right. so will they. Give them examples of other countries doing it. But, you know, as far as the political, right. uh, we need to go hard and heavy. We have to, you know, politically, we have to go hard and heavy because, again, they are the quote-unquote majority in this country. So when it comes to that type of thing, you know, take no damn prisoners. You know, so, you know I'm not right. even talking about right. the, the right. politics of you know, uh, so I would even go further. Basic conversational level. I can understand that. You know, this week I decided that I was going to even be louder than I have been on on this subject uh, uh, because I, because what, what what popped into my head and I just thought about it, it hit me so hard. I started feeling a little bit down because I thought, you know, I cannot even have a conversation with my sisters or brother without somebody saying, "I'm blessed, I'm blessed." And I'm like, hey, stop oh, that shit that. altogether. Because yeah. rather than saying I'm blessed, instead, why don't you say I'm grateful? Because to say you're blessed to me implies that you believe that some God has um, help for you in your mundane daily life while ignoring no the millions else. or billions of people who are left hungry and, 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 and are, are stuck in other horrors. All across this planet, and it's so dumb. I'm not putting up with. It. I can't. I can't. I can't, I can't be quiet about it's it. It's so immoral. I can't listen to that. It's like yeah. it would be different if it was just a simple difference of opinion where we can investigate it, we agree. But it's like a like like politics. I can disagree with conservatives in some areas and agree with them in others. But it's it's to the point where when Christians talk, the sheer immorality of what they say. And their total obliviousness to the things that they say when they say it, like like the rape comment that the GOP hasn't said. It's coming. The Bible is not friends with women, period. And to them, they don't really understand the immorality of what they're saying. And to me, it makes me aggressive because this is an adult. It's not a kid. Kids aren't the problem. Adults. And, and I struggle with that. And I'm in the sciences on top of that. So it makes me aggressive when talking with especially black people because forget reparations, forget money, forget land. The main thing we lost out on is we playing catch-up in the knowledge game. and the We missed mm-hmm. the enlightenment, right? So we have to play catch-up. We missed the, the, the first and second industrial revolution. We missed the enlightenment period, and we halfway missed the information age. So in preparation for the next thing coming, I have low tolerance for black people who say ignorant things like that. And I admit it. I'm biased. You know, and, it's a, and I say that to say that the compassion element and hearing somebody really try to justify slavery. Black people, when it comes to religion, if you tell them the Bible endorses slavery and, it uses, and God has used rape as a weapon on David, for example, you will have a person telling you to your face, that, oh, that slavery was okay, or when God says rape is okay, then it's fine. How can you be silent? I, I, I don't know. Right. I, I struggle with that. Hey, um, oh, no, see, that no, it's interesting. Um, go ahead, Travis, and then I want to make a point. Go ahead. That was Mario, I think. Oh, somebody. Yeah, I didn't oh. want to interject. Mario? Uh, right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, in my car, I'm in my car again, so the AC is on, but... uh. I just wanted to interject something right quick, and I didn't want to take over the show. <clears throat> but uh, 
the idea I had uh, the idea I had one time when I was thinking about this is looking at the cycle of uh, the, the victim the villain victim cycle uh, to speak, and I guess I kind of made that up and spurred them off. But the victims, who the hell is doing that? I don't know. What is that? Is somebody chopping some oh. meat or something? Oh, that is loud. Sorry, I was working on something. I put my phone on mute. Okay. <laughs> All right. You know, it, the, the victims that we have today, we look at the church, and we look at, you know, everybody who is raised in the church and everything they're learning, they, they, they – the people who are, are the villains that are leading leading their their flock with victims themselves because they learn from somebody else that hey this is the way that things should be this is the way things should go this is the way uh, 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 women should be treated the way uh, society should be and everything like that they in turn got their information from somebody else and so on and so forth it's a cycle that keeps perpetuating and passing itself along because none of these people are willing to say hey. Maybe my ancestor was wrong. Maybe my father was wrong. Maybe they didn't know everything, and maybe the only thing, the only information they have is information somebody else gave them, and they didn't know any better. But instead of doing that, everybody just keeps pushing it along. And the fact that it's ingrained not only in their families, but their whole social makeup. I mean, family reunions and funerals and uh, graduations and stuff like that. I mean, you got your entire social structure made up into uh, a, a part of or involving religion and church and everything, and so it just keeps going along. And when you've known this pastor since you was a kid and he keeps asking you for money, you're thinking, this, this is my friend. Yeah, I'm going to keep giving him money and stuff like that. He needs a helicopter, sure. I'm driving a shitty VW Bug that I just got repaired last week by my cousin, but it don't matter. He needs new blades for his helicopter that is apparently still operable anyway. So, yeah, I'm going to donate him money. You know what I'm saying? I mean, but doesn't, I've that seen show, doesn't that show how brainwashed those people were that this fool could even ask them for a helicopter? Heli- can you imagine anybody asking you for some helicopter money and the look you give them? That shows you how much he thinks he had them hooked. It's not about thinking that he has them hooked. He actually has them hooked. He's going to get that money, and he's going to get some, especially, you know, all the examples we've had yeah. over the years. God is going to take me home if I don't get this amount of money to build this medical center. They got the money, they built the medical center, and then the medical center closed within a few years of him opening it. And it was just, you know, it's a big old scam. We have Beasley on the line with us today. Beasley, are you there? Good, good morning. Good morning. I'm I'm listening to the the show and the and you guys were talking. I think it was you, and I'm sorry I don't know your name. Um, I'm Kim. Hi, Kim. You mentioned the need hi. for uh, a political resurgence, or that the answer is in politics, and I I, I couldn't be I couldn't disagree more. Mm-hmm. I don't. Not that I have the answer. But I couldn't mm-hmm. be more dis- I couldn't be more disappointed as a very early supporter and a person that had their that that knows better that had their emotional uh, chords played like a harp by the president. I think what we any of us that aren't drinking any Kool Aid see that um, and I supported him, voted for him, shed tears. Many times throughout the first campaign, like many of you did, because I never thought I would see something like this in my lifetime. 
and and what did we receive? Yeah, I didn't do all that. Well, I did. I did. I did. I did. It it, it, it touched me. I did and, too. And I and 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 I and I kind of knew better because I kind of know what a politician oh. is. They talk out right. of both sides of their mouth, and there nothing can be mm-hmm. more phony except maybe a pastor. But actually, the pastor was more. But the pastor was more real than the politician. So you would have. You but I don't say. But you're putting so a you lot of emphasis Rami, on politicians. Right? That's not what. Well, no, no, no. I'm putting. I'm just reacting to what she said. That's all. So that you would have yeah, he's just saying so what he meant. He just, so you don't believe that you know we should play a part in politics. You don't believe that we should have a voice. That we should come against those who are trying to turn this country into a theocracy. It's already happened. Okay. Yeah, we, we're going to that's our, that that's already point. happened. But I, I, I just, of course, we should play a part. But look what happened. We had a guy that was talking the talk. That was. After eight years of this Bush administration and all of the crimes against the Constitution and normal folks uh, and the lies, uh, we thought we had an answer. He, he was. But I think I think that's a red herring, though, respectfully, because again, Bush. we're talking about politics, but it ignores a local politics, grassroots organizing, to focus in right. on one person who's doing nothing no different than what any other sovereign king, monarch, constitution, anywhere. Because people mistakenly think that the the ethics of a sovereign, especially one who's running for political office, is supposed to be the same as an individual, and that when you're running for a campaign saying what you will or might do, that that's necessarily going to translate over what you're in office. There's never been a president, king, monarch, or anybody in history who've done precisely what they said that they were going to do when they were running for office. Some, yes, especially in a constitutional uh, republic where you can be opposed by the Supreme Court who you have no reprisal against. So, again, when, we, when she mentioned politics, when she mentioned politics, she's just simply meaning the mass of body using legal maneuvering, using legal argument under the Constitution in order to oppose, uh, uphold separate church and state. Who cares about what a president do? We switch them out every four to eight years. The reason we do that is for that very purpose. So somebody, we can let somebody do the exact opposite, we'd be complaining about him. But who cares? Because he's not going to, the president don't really matter in this debate. Because it ultimately goes to the Supreme Court and what they determine is the Constitution. So you're saying... We have to also take into account, what we also have to take into account is while the president does sign laws into existence, Congress makes the laws. And going back to, you know, what we had said earlier and what the gentleman just said about the local politics, we have to get involved locally. We do have to do the outreach and the grassroots, and that's why I keep bringing up Moral Mondays. The nature of politics is that your dog catcher turns into your school board member, turns into your city councilman who runs for mayor, who run, who runs for state senate, who runs for... Who, who, who runs for governor, uh, who runs for Senate, and who runs for president. That's the way politics work. They're always striving for a higher office. Yes, it, 
and you're correct. You're correct because I mean we so, see this so in all so, when they so, when they so screw so to try so when they mess up in one area, they're promoted up and out the way to a certain degree to another position. It happens often, and that's why I'm saying that we have to come in as grassroots, you know, social community activists, and we have to change that. We, in some cases, we're going to have to, you know, um, educate some of these younger people and help them to become um, or interested, if you will, in politics so that I, we can I'm start voting old. these people out I, of office. Yes, sir. I'm 50 years old. I had politically active parents. I was always interested mm-hmm. in politics. Uh, I never saw in my adult life uh, a more of a groundswell of grassroots support from move from move.org uh, mm-hmm. that that got move.org, you know, among un- other groups and the groundswell of support that Obama received. Okay. Right. If anything, right. and because he came from, he came literally from nowhere, and received the exactly. groundswell support because because he talked the talk. Okay, he was address, he was talking, he was telling us what we wanted to hear, and I mean, with the, I would disagree being one of those younger persons. Like I'm, I'm 27, and it, I've only voted in a few elections. Um, and my main thing is this, but I'm also heavy enough politics. I'm a stock market trader. Right on the side, and one thing with the Obama thing is exactly I'm a I'm a Wall Street guy too, and the one thing that I would have to say with politics, and it's the same thing with religion, and everything else, right? The arguments against a politician tends to be emotional based, but the data doesn't matter. Like like for example, right? No 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 no, no no no. Let me just continue. Let me just stop. It's not emotional. It's fact based. When you walk it one way. I, when you talk it one way, okay, I expect I you to that. walk it that way. And that's just the standard that I have for anything and everything in my life. But wasn't the That makes sense. But, 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 but if I could finish my point, if I could finish my point, okay, right? Because you're saying this. You're saying this, right? You're saying that Obama didn't walk the walk, right? Okay. It's akin to saying this, right? He said he was going to do X, Y, Z, and the third, right? I'll ask you this. He said he was going to do ten things, Right? He was able to do six. Is that not walking the walk? I, and, and the problem is talk, that it's what over. What are you talking about? We're talking about well, a man that's you, a I professor. We're talking about a man that's a professor, a constitutional that understands the Constitution of the United States of America that has done that that has increased, which is interpreted every, like the Bible. So again, so again, when you're talking like, about a document, it's not interpreted like it the Bible. Is, it's because very you have clear. a loop. No, it's not. God, it is not clear. clear. And anybody who's read the Constitution, anybody who's read the Constitution knows that it's not that cut and dry. Because when the Constitution was first drafted, right, with the Whigs and the Federalists and all that, there was a strict interpretation of the Constitution. That's one fact, and there's a loose interpretation of the Constitution. First of all, they took it loosely when they didn't allow black people to be citizens. So let's just throw this notion out the window that the, that the Constitution is like a Bible. That's point one. Point two, when you're talking about actual facts, presidents make promises. They never are able to fulfill all of them. But to make the assertion that Obama has not fulfilled any of them, that's point one, is fallacious. Point two, that's fallacious. What is he fulfilled? This conversation one, the, the war in Iraq was ended. The Dow, the Dow is up twenty percent. GDP is war, up. Unemployment is, is down. War in Iraq, war in Iraq may have been scaled down, 
more in the red. Well, what he said he was going to do. Hey, but y'all, y'all can't decide no Obama stuff right here. And I understand the passion behind it, and but. Um, let's try. Can we get it back on topic? Get it back on topic. Oh yeah, yeah, that's where I was going. It has nothing to do with a police, uh, with opposing theocracy. Obama and whoever is in the executive office, it, there is zero relation to ensuring the separation of church and state. Zero. Because you make the statement, it's already happening. I can't tell. The evolutionists have been losing for 120 years in almost every court case. You see what I'm saying? So I have, there's no evidence to suggest that engaging politically is, is, is not an endeavor worth doing when all the evidence over the last century suggests otherwise. If you were older, and, you'd be more cynical. If you be, if you were older, you'd be more cynical. Uh, can I ask a question? But yeah, but but that's emotion. That's not fact, and that's my whole. But what? If you're cynical because of emotions, then you're not making judgments. No, on I'm cynical. I'm cynical. I'm cynical based on the fact, okay, and I, I think, and I, and I think it's a bit demeaning for you to suggest that I'm making decisions that are not well thought out, and that I'm making. I didn't say that. I just well said when you say I'm cynical well, you because I'm older, you're basically on emotion, saying my personal if experience If you're stating that I'm acting cynical. on emotion and that my responses are emotional. What you're suggesting is that this is something that I have not considered and thought out, that it's a knee-jerk reaction. I didn't say you didn't based think on, about it. Based on how you can I think about it. your emotions long and hard. It don't make them valid. People think about their emotional responses to things all the time. That doesn't make it a valid argument. Because you made the case, I'm 50-something years old, therefore I'm cynical, which implies that my personal anecdotal experience of what I've seen, which may or may not have been based on the fact that you've seen it, Make me have this sweeping argument about what a president is doing in office, and it makes me think that acting against a theocracy is not relevant politically, because that's your argument. You called saying, when she made the case that we have to engage them politically, you called in and essentially made the argument that because Obama didn't do X, Y, Z third, he's not walking the walk, therefore the political route is not an adequate means to do so. That was your argument, was it not? Well, what I'm saying is politicians are tricky. And if you if, and entrusting them to do what they say, there's real no accountability. How, I how agree. is he accountable? How is he accountable by by putting so another candidate out? So you would uh, excuse me. What, so you would have voted for Romney? Is that what you said? I didn't say that at all. And this last well, election, I, I didn't I'm vote. Just he also not vote. No, that's not what he said. No, no, I, I didn't say that. See, you're you limited to your choices. choices. I probably I, pro- I probably would have voted for Dick Gregory. Like like my mother did. Yeah, I mean, there's other options, but that's irrelevant. Wasn't Who he would have voted for is irrelevant. Okay, well, but you here, know, yeah, what when I it comes to what he's saying, when it comes to what he's saying. I got to bring it back to center, guys. I got to bring it back to center because, I mean, I understand the passion behind all of this. And one thing that we should know um, mm-hmm. as communities of color is that we have people out here that, you know, have the right words that, you know, can say it at the right cadence, if you will, you know, you know, homiletic, hominutic, all of that plays a part in our community because it is so ingrained in our community. It is up to us to fact check what's happening with these people. It is up to us to investigate them. Yes, um, President Obama came up out of nowhere. He was groomed for you know, to be a politician and to be a great politician. But just because someone has a wave of words, that does not mean that, you know, that they're going to stand on integrity. 
that you know that's not what that means. But then again, we also have to take into account that again, Congress, Congress, Congress makes the laws, and most politics that affects us happens at the local and state level, which is why we're saying exactly. to get involved on a local and state level. This is why it's important to have, you know, community activists, to have social activists, to have grassroots movements. This is why, you know, um, Operation Wall Street and Moral Mondays, this is why they're having such a big impact because they're hitting them at the local level. This is, you know, so, you know, we have to look at the big picture. But, again, I'm going to bring it back to center. You know, because, I mean, this is a great conversation, and we got a lot out there, but, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I would be remiss if we didn't start hitting back on some of the topics for, you know, the victim blaming and the scapegoating. And one one other thing, you know, we can tie it into, you know, President Obama, you know, what's happening with him now and how, you know, Congress, and, and Raina, your, your mic is off. I told you that in the room, but um, what's, what's happening with um, President Obama, you know, Congress is stalling on a lot of what he's trying to get passed. Now, I'm not saying I agree with everything that he's done or that I agree with everything that he's trying to implement, but what I'm saying is he cannot pass these laws without the help of Congress. They have to make the law, they have to pass it, and then he can either either veto it or sign it into law. Or he can do a pocket veto, which veto, which means it just sits there and it automatically passes into law. So, you know, Tim. understanding, you know, it's important that we understand the Tim. different branches of the government. What, yes. what what law could he possibly pass that is more important than our civil liberties? What law could he possibly pass? Let me hold on a second. You, you, you know what? You have to leave for the people a chance to talk. You get your turn, young man. You're right. You're right. You're right. What, Go ahead. What, what law could they possibly be passing that would affect any of us free-thinking, outspoken, well-spoken people that are that that are participating in this show right now? Then yes, our ability to express ourselves. Freely and openly, which has been promised to us in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, what is mm-hmm. more important than that? Now, with now, I have my opinions. Everyone has, a, all of us have opinions. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we don't agree. I, I'm not yes, willing yeah. to, I'm not willing to jail this young man or document everything that he does. Uh, I am and, and him consider up. him an enemy. Well, you know what? And that's what's yeah, unfortunate because that doesn't happen on the grassroots level. The NSA and PRISM hasn't happened on the grassroots level. It's happened on the national level. And it's, pardon me? But again, uh, how do you, but the, the question is, Edward Snowden, right? It's not pardon a question me? of civil, uh, you can say anything you want. No one is stopping you. You're talking on this phone right now. It, you're, you're confounding an argument. It, the, the argument is fallacious. To say that Edward Snowden is an example of how Obama may which is a slippery slope argument. What are you, know, you talking about? Are you aware of what's happening? What are you talking about? I know exactly what's happened. I know exactly what's happened. You know, I'm in technology. I'm not a security clearance. I know. The, the thing is, it's beside the point. It's fallacious. Because the, what? You're talking about civil liberties is being imposed upon? Well, what is which important? One? Tell me. All right, civil liberties aren't important. What is important, young man? Well, I'll tell you what's important. One... The main thing that was important with Obama, let's take Obama's administration. No, what's the important economy. in the world? What's important as a as as a black person the in America trying 
trying to be economic. a productive member of society and do, trying to do right and to have a nice life and a nice life for our family. What's important? You tell personal, me. Personal finance and scientific literacy are the two biggest things that. that the I, black I, community needs. I, 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 I agree with that. Those two I agree personal with that. Finance? Personal finance? That's it. Personal finance, right? Economic and scientific literacy are the two biggest things in the African-American community that need to be addressed. There are others, yeah. but he asked me for two important things. Well, I think health care is more important than both of those, and I think the one thing that but both that, of you that are affects getting, economics. I think that the That's one thing that, that both of you are forgetting. There's a reason why the Constitution says you have to be 35 years old in order to become President of the United States. You know that's law, right? Well, yeah, yeah. of course. Okay. How's okay. that relevant? Look, it's very well, relevant when someone's 27. What I would suggest to all of you is to remember that it was, yes, we can, not yes, he can. And That's everybody right. just sat back That's and said, right. what, 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 That's right. do what you're going to do, Obama. Okay? Right. And so... Someone in the chat room just mentioned the NDAA. Right. Well, the other point is, uh, and that has economic, and no, he shouldn't just, have signed that. Econ, the economy is booming too. That was the other point. That was the main Let's gonna let's bring it back to victim blaming and scapegoating. I mean, I understand, you know. But again, you know, uh, I just want to bring it back to center because, you know, there's a few topics that I definitely want to hit on before we're done. But I understand, you know, the passion and all of that and scientific literacy, economics, you know, health care, all of that. It's about equaling the playing field, leveling the playing field. And so that everybody will exactly, you know, have a fair chance. But, you know, again, with that, we have to talk about, you know, privilege and patriarchy and xenophobia, especially in this country. You know, um, they don't like anybody. And scientific illiteracy, too. If if black people, here's the thing, if black people don't raise their participation in the STEM fields by at least 3%, we will never close the wealth gap. I don't care what law you pass. It'll never happen. And that speaks to critical thinking. That speaks to free thinking, humanism, all of that. Right, but that goes back to public policy. It's a, it goes back to public policy and making changes that will basically um, negate some of the policies that are in place that are in there purposely right. to tip the playing field. To tip the playing field. So again, it's about you know political literacy as well because most people do not understand the laws, how laws are made, and how laws affect different people differently. And we have to take all of that into consideration. But part of that also is in this country with a lot of the, you know, the hatred and, again, with the patriarchy and the privilege that's been put in place, we have now turned that on each other. And, again, this is where some of the victimization and the scapegoating comes in is because no one wants to be the scapegoat. No one wants to be the one being kicked around the football field because they're the weakest link, if you will. And in turn, with some of the minority communities, we've turned around and started scapegoating each other. Not only different explain. members. Could you explain that point further? Pardon me? Could you, could, you explain, could you expound on that a little bit further about what you mean by um, we have started scapegoating each other? 
Okay, well, one of, one of the points that I was going to make today was um, within the LGBTQ community. Okay, let's talk about oh, that community. Yeah. With Proposition 8, they scapegoated the black community, saying that yep. if it wasn't for, you know, the black community, um, that gays would have the right to marry. And, you know, what they – and then I've been attacked by some, you know, white gays, um, you know, accusing me of being, you know, homophobic. And I'm like, dude, I'm a member of the LGBTQ community. How can I be homophobic? But, see, the thing okay. is is that they don't understand their own statistics. They're accusing us. But in California, specifically with Proposition 8, there are seven times as many white people in California as blacks. There are nearly six times as many people people than blacks. And there are double the number of Asians as blacks. As a matter of fact, black voters only make up 7% of voters in California, and they only make up 6.2 of the population. Now, I don't know what kind of public school they went to, but in the public school I went to, 7% is not a majority. 6.2 is nope. not a majority. And, you know, and you know, we can tie that into when you all were talking about Barack Obama. Black people, according to the 2010 census, we only make up 12.6% of the population. Now, that's just total population. Not all of that 12.6% votes. You know, and, and we were five percent of the electorate, actually. Exactly, exactly. We were 5% exactly. Of the so last year. you have to go back, but we have to start looking at these numbers. But with the black community being scapegoated about Proposition Eight, and then you know, again, I have to keep it fair and balanced. We have some people, some people in the black community scapegoating the LGBT community, you know, as far as, you know, marriage equality and also with the HIV and AIDS, scapegoating these communities trying to say that HIV AIDS is a gay disease, which it's not, you know, scapegoating, you know, in our community, some people are scapegoating black men, talking about the DL lifestyle, which is not necessarily true, you know, and and again, you know, uh, and, and we have to stop it. We have to stop it. This is why I think it's important that we sit But there's down. truth in all these things that has to be acknowledged too. This ain't coming from nowhere. Like, uh, like for example, black uh, African Americans are the single most religious demographic in the country, and we're outspoken yeah. generally about homosexuality. That's point one. You know. Yeah. So right. and then you got you know other examples. So the question: Black men. Black men, we say we dangerous. Everybody get mad when we put that out there. But then when you throw statistics like being 13% of the population but doing 53% of the homicides on each other, then it's like, huh, I don't want to hear. People don't want to hear numbers when it strongly suggests a stereotype that has a bit of truth in it. So let's just be honest. 53% of the homicides are the result of Are you taking into consideration all the wars that are fought? And how many people die there, and who makes those decisions? Give me a break. That you know, okay. Uh, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. We're talking about wars. We're, well, I mean, no, we're talking know, about homicide. We're, we're talking about we're talking about slanted and skewed statistics. To, to, no, we're not. To, That's not what we were talking about. A statistic is a statistic. It doesn't explain why. It doesn't give an explanation. It's a number. And when it, doesn't it doesn't explain why, why that happens. You can happens. use it for any purpose. Period. Okay, no, you so can't. Jim no, that's only people who don't understand that. It, it, that's for dishonest people. Because, again, like, let's, I'll give you an example of a statistic. Take 72% of black babies born out of wedlock. 
That is a, a statistic that's being misled. Why? Because it gives the impression, if you, uh, for people who don't know any better, who don't do research, that we have an epidemic with babies being born out of wetlock, when that's not necessarily the case. Why? Because over the past decade, married women, married black women, and older black women, more educated black women, have less children statistically. It's fallen below 2 to like 1.5. So it's not necessarily that out of wedlock mothers are having more babies. It's that married and educated women are having less of them. That's an example exactly. of somebody taking a statistic a wrong way and because they don't know math. That's what that boils down to. Right. But there, and there, is book, was, there is a book out there called How to Lie with Statistics. How to Lie with Statistics. Exactly. Um, well, right. It's like, like I don't Kim. Think that they don't, they don't know how to add. I think it's being done on purpose. But go ahead. Right, Kim. Absolutely. Kim, I was going to say, um, actually, Melissa Harris Perry brought up a really good example on her program today. She was talking about, um, she was talking about this this notion about um, black men and and their pathology and how um, everyone likes to use that this this um, this quote of. Um, that there are more black men today in prison than there were in slavery. And it's like, well, that's that was, super wrong. But when you think about it, there are more people, period, than there right. were in slavery. Exactly. And it's there's 860,000 men. It's 860,000 black men in jail as of last year right now because we make up about half of the prison population. In 1860, there were 4.5 million slaves, roughly half of them, we're men. So it's 2 million to 860,000. That's a factor of one and a half. So there's nowhere near. But a statistic like that is factually wrong. But you would never know that, which speaks to our whole point about politics, about the community, about free thinking, about churches. If you are a horrible, critical thinker, if you've never learned how to think, how to evaluate data, how to evaluate facts, you're going to have the wrong beliefs about everything. And church is just the beginning. That's true. Never learn to thinking to be applied to every area of your life, not only about religion, but every area of your life. Go ahead, whoever was speaking there. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was just right. saying, and it's it's that type of it's that type of um, lack of critical thinking or, or that sort of engagement that allows these harmful stereotypes to persist and for. Um, you know, for you know, right wing Republicans in particular to blame black people and poor people for their for their problems and not the racist, classist, you know, discriminatory policies that they put in place. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and exactly. you know, the minorities are being scapegoated. Minorities are being scapegoated, being told that because of us, that you know, wages are being lowered, and that there are not enough jobs. That, and you know, if, if we Echo. again, these are things that def- yeah, someone needs to turn the radio down. Um, these are things that definitely that need to be addressed. And you know, not only that, I mean. We're facing quite a few issues, you know, going back to the Prop 8 thing there, you know, they were, you know, uh, members of the LGBT community, um, you know, especially some of the white males, like I said, that's who I've been attacked by mostly, white gay males upset because, you know, Proposition 8, but they're not looking at what they did not do. They did not go into their own, yes, Kim, you're right about the property thing. Look, the Mormons funded Prop, Proposition 8, okay? 
And they sent around things to black churches saying that if Prop 8 passes, then your preacher could go to jail if he doesn't marry gay people. Okay? And then they blame black folks, like you said, 7% of the population, and saying, that, well, well, if all the black people would have voted for it, then, then, then it, then it, then it would have passed. Well, if 5% of the white people would have voted for it, That's it would have passed. What? What's not true? I'm agreeing with you. It's not true that yeah. if black yeah. all black people would have voted, it would have it would have helped, but it would have nowhere near turned over. There's a lot more religious exactly. people in general than black people. So that's ridiculous. Exactly. But then oh that. my goodness! I was agreeing with you. Okay, okay. and I see well, someone in the chat is, folks, is sort of in, engaging in a bit of scapegoating himself. He's um, basically saying that gay marriage is the ultimate non-issue. Slash diversion created to foster division and conflict, and I see that I didn't quite say a that. lot. In, um, I didn't say that at all. Huh? What? No. Yeah, I'm that someone in the chat room said that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, no. I mean, I did put on my um, I did put on my Facebook page something like uh, uh, uh can gay people get married so we can help the poor? Because <laughs> to me, that's. <laughs> well, you know, see, well, see, that's that's part of the that's part of the issue too, Travis. You have to understand, like a lot of people act as though, you know, somehow by engaging with um, the debate on gay marriage, that you're somehow you're you're ignoring or prioritizing these other things. Not necessarily. It's just that we, you know, we're we're human beings, and for some reason, we seem only to be able to do one thing at a time very well. You know, well, exactly. Like, that's a reference to other accolades. But that is yeah, not true. There's a ton of things that we need to focus on. And that's what we need to understand is that, you know, most of us, hopefully, we aren't one-dimensional, that we can, you know, chew gum and walk and, you know, at the same time. But um, let me let me announce the telephone number. Our telephone number is 310-982-4273. Again, 310-982-4273. I'm going to let it go into overtime today. So for those of you in the chat room and listening in, you want to hear after we have 19 minutes left. After that, if you want to hear what else is going on, you're going to have to dial in to listen to the phone call and listen to the rest of the show or catch it in the archives. But, um, again, you know, we should be able to take on multiple issues without one particular group feeling as though we're abandoning them. You know, that's what happened with feminism and the black power movement. But, you know, bringing it back to center here, you know, with the Proposition 8, and with the white LGBTQ community, what they failed to do, they didn't do any type of real outreach to the black members of the LGBTQ community. Let's start with that. They didn't reach no. out to the blacks in their own community. And not only that, they did not reach out to the greater black community to try to, you know, talk to people and, to un- and get them to understand why, you know, they felt that it was important. And then also, number three, there was a lot of disrespect even before, you know, um, Proposition 8. There was a lot of disrespect to the leadership in our communities. And this not only applies to the LGBTQ community, but these issues also applies, and I'm going to go ahead and say it because, I mean, I'm I'm on a roll. This also applies to the atheist community. And, And what I've seen, especially with that billboard in Pennsylvania, they claim that they spoke to people in, you know, black and atheist community. Well, I don't remember hearing anything about it. I just saw the billboard go up. 
I believe they spoke to some of the black. So I, I got a I got a question though. Certainly. So wouldn't that be wouldn't that be victim uh, victim blame in a way? Because what we're what we're saying is that we have an injustice, a legal injustice that they are acutely aware of, actually. So them not voting to or or willing to fight an injustice is a defect on a person's the the person coming to them and telling them about it or getting them to, why did they have to? Like, there was no major, you know, outreach campaign for anything else. If they thought it was wrong, they got on it. But, again, we're talking about a highly religious demographic here. It's not just black people. It's a highly religious demographic who, in some ways, and then you add on top of that, they're insulted because they think that the gay rights movement is being equated to the civil rights movement. How do you even begin that conversation? We have to start somewhere. And part of that is, again, you know, um, basically sitting down, having the conversations. If they can't have that conversation with minorities of their own community, how do they expect to have a real conversation with minorities that are not a part of that community? That's true. But are we so sure that didn't happen, at least in some shape, way, or form on a local level? Because from my vantage point, you know, my I work for uh, uh, people for the American way, right? I when I was religious, I was against gay marriage protocol. What can mm-hmm. I say, right? But as I got older, and I started actually talking to gay men, I had a gay roommate when I lived in Washington D.C. for example, right? And right. that cha- that changed my whole perspective because he said something to me very powerful. He said, "Who if gayness is a choice, and you are aware of all the things that come with it, what?" same person would choose this. And he said that to me, and then I had to revisit my whole perception. So I think that it's not so much that they have to necessarily come to us, it's that we need to be willing to be educated on the issue. Because I was ignorant on a lot of things from my position. I'm just going to say that. Well, again, it starts with a conversation and us being able to sit down to have a conversation and to talk one to one another. And, again, if you can't talk to members of your own community, how do you really expect people of other communities to talk to you or to take you serious when there are conflicts happening within your own community? And, you know, again, I, you know, talk to, you know, a lot of different people. And like I said, I just brought up that billboard and what happened. And the thing is is that what pissed me off about that billboard and the situation is, the the organization that put that billboard up in Pennsylvania, they sat down with members of the Jewish community and they sat down with members of the Muslim community, but they did not sit down with members of the black community, which is why the, the because black is in a religious group. Well, again, I mean, being black is in a religious group. Excuse me. But if the church is separate, if we're a religious group or not. It all boils down to those billboards were put in these different communities. So, again, again, we have a high – I'm talking about the billboard talking about slaves obey your masters. Remember that? 
Oh, yeah. yes, I do. And, but what I'm saying oh, yeah, is yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they sat down with the Jewish community, they sat down with the Muslim community, but they did not sit down with the black community. And now we're having issues within this atheist community talking about racism and sexism, and they don't even know how to talk to the people in their own community, and them, and not only just with the atheist community, again, LGBTQ community, this, this you know, can be applied across the board. This is why I'm saying that we need to sit down and have these conversations. How do you expect anyone else to take you serious when we can't talk to each other? You're right, Kim. You I mean, know what? I, I think yeah. that the uh, conversation should happen in Seattle because Seattle is a place right now uh, in the state of Washington where marriage is equal and, and weed is legal. And you 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 might need um, you, you might need to hit the pipe or, or or the bong like I'm about to do, and because uh, it's legal here, and um and and then have a conversation because if everybody is um still stuck in their ways and not in a in a free flow and loose way, they're not going to change. They're, they're they're just trying to hold their position. But we're not trying to get. I don't think we're trying. I'm cynical. I'm more cynical. Like, adults here, I under, I'm not under any illusion I can change anybody else's mind. I've given up on that. I've had thousands of arguments and debates with people. I actually went to seminary when I was at Wilberforce, Payne Seminary. Study there, know the Bible back and forth. It does not matter. If someone wants to believe that, they're going to. But my concern is the audience, right? When I debate people on Facebook, I could care less who I'm actually debating. I care about who's watching it. So... As long as we're in, I care more about the atheist argument position being out there than changing anybody's mind who's already convinced. I'm just, that's just a waste of energy from my perspective. When there's a whole lot of people on the fence, there are new people born every day reaching the age of reason. Why should I have to spin my wheels around with somebody who actually said that, you know, uh, rape might be a property crime. I'm not interested in talking to that person. I mean, it's just me. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. I, I don't have the answer. So but you're saying a whole lot of people you don't want to. So you're saying you're not going to try to convince the person who's arguing against you. I, I agree with this 100. percent I'm doing it so that all the people who actually aren't commenting but actually do read it, they actually send me messages saying, right. "Hey, keep what you're doing." I can't comment it because. Because Mama and him are on my Facebook, but 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 go ahead, brother. Right. You know what I mean? And so yeah, if the if the atheist agnostic free thinking community, instead of directly confronting um, the people who are uh, religious zealots, and instead, hopefully, try and um, find comrades who are already kind of iffy about orthodoxy and then have them maybe skip over the spirituality trap, okay, of some other uh, mystical unknown that you need to be uh, looking for and listening to or listening out for, and then hop into the free-thinking, reasoning, agnostic, atheist, you know, whatever, you know, communities. I'm saying argument, free conversation. I'm saying arguments, free conversation, billboards, sitting down on one-on-one, having a conference. All of those are equal to me and what I think the aim should be. And the aim should be ideas should always be out there because they'll speak for themselves eventually. Be I don't care what the the medium is not important. It's the fact that the the idea has a platform because you're not it, 
there are billions of people that believe this. They kill each other over it. They kill their babies over it. They sacrifice things to each other. They spend thousands and millions of dollars on this stuff. No conversation you're going to have with them is going to change that. That's going to happen. If it wasn't Christianity, it would be something else. But the point is, who's next, right? Who are the children? Who are on the fence? Who are the reasonable people? That's how you grow. That's why agnosticism, non-religious atheism has been growing by leaps and bounds. Simply because we're more vocal. We may not be more as friendly. We may not. We don't care. The fact is, because our arguments are in a public space, more so exactly. than ever before in history through social media, right. that is growing because the arguments stand on their own. They really do. Because the first time, the first time I saw that there was a uh, some other uh, supposed savior god, you know, a couple, three, four of them, that had uh, December 25th as their birth date, and they had 12 disciples, and they were born of a virgin. And I was like, wait a minute, it's a remix. <laughs> it's a remix. That's education, though. That's a whole other thing, was, I was tricked by no, no. I was tricked by a remix, and that actually pissed me off more than anything. I'm like, oh that's man. Yeah, that's all that. Yeah, I got tricked. It's, so, it's just so immoral, man. And the that's the problem off. I have with I ever have with tippy toeing around a preacher. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't doing that at all ever. And no. they know. I'm, I'm right. a comedian. Preachers, preachers know. Uh, now you guys aren't labeled comedian, but when you're labeled a comedian, preachers don't want to talk to you. Mm-mm. Because oh, I no. might get loud talking no. to him, and he might lose some converts quick. That's right. Quick. Wow. He knows right. what, uh, okay. One preacher came up to me, me, me and, and said, one uh, last time. "Go ahead." Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to. No, no, no. I was going to say the number is three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. It seems like we're going to go into overtime, so you guys, if you want to call in, so you can listen to, you know, what happens after two o'clock. That would be great, and we're going to pick up part two of this. Like I said, next week is intersectionality part two. The week after that, rape culture. The Sunday after that is going to be Raina and Mario. But the week after that, we'll do part two of victimization and um, scapegoating. So I just kind of want to let everybody know that that's what we're going to do. Let's add Terry into this conversation. But go ahead, um, Travis, what you were saying. But, Terry, your, your mic is hot. All right, thank you. Um, I, I was just going to say that the, uh, a preacher at my um, grandmother's funeral, the preacher did, giving the eulogy, said, oh, I came up, and, uh, up to me outside and said, uh, I heard you're a comedian. I go, yeah. And then she said, uh, people told me I could be a comedian. And I said, yeah, you could. The best preachers are funny. Uh, I said, but the only difference between me and you is I'm not acting like i got to uh, help somebody with their soul. <laughs> I'm just helping with that funny bone. <laughs> you know, and uh, she actually did like an anti-gay thing, and I went right up to her and I said, "What's that about? What, what, what is that?" And the line got long, and I had to go. And but uh, you know, I think that um, I think you're right about his point about it ain't about talking to the people who are solid stuck. It's about talking to the people who are reasonable, and then maybe some of the solid stuck people. Um, love some of the reasonable people and can maybe become a little more reasonable themselves. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, again, it's about, you know, being able to sit down, being able to have these conversations, even if we have 
you know, viewpoints that are, you know, antithetical to one another, that's fine. But it's about being able to sit down because, again, you know, there are a lot of, you know, inner issues that need to be dealt with, but, you know, also growing and not re-victimizing the victim, you know. And, and also the main thing is also then this is something we've seen across the board and even on, you know, the show today, not allowing distractions to come and distract us from the real issue and problem. Because I've seen that we would be talking about whatever issue, and we were talking about rape culture a little earlier, and instead of dealing with the issue at hand, it turns into, well, what was she wearing? Or had she been drinking? Oh, yeah. That is, yeah. That, that is inconsequential. The fact of the matter is a woman or a man or a child was raped. Let's deal with that particular issue, and that's one of the issues that I've experienced just in general, not, you know, just in general, and basically people deflecting and not wanting to talk about the issue at hand and basically trying to commandeer the conversation to what they want it to be. And, you know, again, we have to, again, challenge that so and I'm stop it argue. and deal with the issue at hand. Go ahead. No, that, that's that's a classic, just a straw man argument, you know, uh, dealing with, you know, if a woman says she raped, the first question that comes to my mind is, did it actually happen? If did lock, if he did, lock him up. If not, move on. It has nothing to do with what they added. The, the implication of it is just so immoral in and of itself because it says, oh, well, there are some instances where rape is okay, so let's just explore that. You see what I'm saying? Rather than it being forced, you know, sex being wrong in general. And it's the same argument that it's just rationalization, right? When you aren't a victim of something, right, it's, 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 it's called the just world hypothesis, right? If something happens to somebody else is bad, you somehow have to believe that the world is just and there's a reason for that thing occurring, right? That somehow you deserve it. When something happens to you personally, then the world is unfair. You see what I'm saying? It's a cognitive bias that people have, especially if it, it, it supports a pre-existing uh, bias. So, again, all of these, I, group, I tend to think group all of the social ills and things of that nature to human cognitive excrement, uh, fallacious thinking, cognitive bias, cognitive dissonance, all of that stuff. It's just it all boils down to how we think and reason, right? Because for a person, that's, to me, like I said, to us on this phone, it's reasonable. When a woman says she raped, all right, let's investigate did it happen. That's the case. To a reasonable person, that makes sense. What type of person right. says, oh, well, shoot, she might have got raped. She, it might have been a legitimate rape. The body knows how, how to shut that whole thing down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What That's doing? ridiculous. What was she doing? Where was she at? Well, she should have been at home with her, and then it has a hint of patriarchy in it. Because a lot of these conversations exactly. tend to suggest if she was around a man, then she wouldn't have got raped. It, it has no, no, no. You know what it is? As well. You know what? I just figured out what it was when you were talking. No, no. It's it. Well, if she wasn't doing whatever she was doing, the devil wouldn't have got her. That's what they. <laughs> because we all know that women That's... are evil. Every society in the world almost has to paint evil on women as if they they're these magical creatures that. Keep people from common sense and self control. And that whole no, 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 narrative no, plays out in the United States. No, 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 no you're, you're right there. No, wait, think about this. If you play women like they're evil, then it gives you a reason to have to control them. Just like if you play niggas exactly. as evil, it gives you a reason to incarcerate them. 
or shoot them exactly. at random when they're carrying Skittles. Yes. It's the and same thing. Deborah, you have something to say, Deborah? And we all know that uh, it's a legitimate weakness of men. So you need to watch for that because they can't right. be around a woman without trying to screw her. Yeah, yeah, but I ain't got. I can think about screw. I think it, I can think about it all day, but then I ain't got nothing to do with what I actually do with my thoughts. I don't act on every thought saying, that I have, I'm, and that's I'm, a key point no, of sanity. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying you, but it has been accepted. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's true. That this is a weakness of men, and you 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 just but can't that's be around a man without you see. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, right. But see, that's sex is in of itself. Wait, wait, it don't let you. Her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hello? Because when you yell, you, said you can hear her. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, so basically it all boils down to, I mean, even if you look at language, you know, and the way that languages are set up, you know, because this was, was interesting when I was learning, you know, four languages is that, Especially in the Romance languages, which is like Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, what have you, everything negative points to a female. Now think about it. All the negative things point to a female. And and not only that, you know, well, well, the the majority. How about that? The majority. How about two and minutes? So, um, I don't know. Exactly. The whole idea that men are raising yeah, this beast that, that can't keep their hands first, off of women is pretty bad. That's the first thing they had to conquer was the women because it was a matriarchal society. That's the first right. thing they had to conquer. You understand? Was the women. And it's been like that ever since. It wasn't just black people. It was women had to get out of control. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And and that's and that's still happening now because when we have men deciding reproductive rights of women, that's exactly. an issue. Yes, that's it is. a major issue. And then also it ties back into again victim blaming, shaming and scapegoating that, you know, you know, women in some cases, in some cases men and especially poor people, you know, they're being oh, yeah. blamed shamed and scapegoated. You know, Melissa Harris Perry today, you know, she spoke on something that we've talked about in the past, how if you steal a dollar candy bar from the store, in some states you can get 10 years in jail, you can get life in jail, but if you go and steal 10, 15, 20 million dollars, you don't serve any time. You get a bonus. That's right. That's right. Yep. How does that work? Yep, that's all. Exactly. I, did again. That I don't is, know that's, about that. White collar crime get clobbered. Yeah, but that's the last few white collar criminals I've seen. None of them got less than thirty years, so I'm not sure if that's true either. Because they make examples out of white collar criminals. Because when you steal twenty million dollars, you're not nine times out of ten, you messing with somebody else's money, especially the government, because you're not paying taxes on that. So I've seen white collar right. criminals get thrashed in court. Now, poor people, now, if you talk about the hedge fund, what happens to the hedge fund managers going to jail? The hedge funds, right. that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And Wall Street. But what I was going to say, injecting to that is, when the white-collar criminals does it to other white-collar criminals, yeah, then they go to jail. But when white-collar criminals do it to the poor, they get off free. 
That's not true. That's not true either. Because there's a pastor. I watch American Greed on CNBC, right? A doctor who is selling people's organs, poor people's organs. He got 30 years. Oh, I love American Greed. But the thing is, you know what I'm saying, the the point I was making is I caution against overgeneralization because now we're taking a, a, a group of victims who may be victims, who may not be, and making them universally so, and then taking another group of people and universally demonizing them. You can't do either one of those things. You can't say this group is universally a victim or even imply that, and then turn around on the other end and say somebody like Wall Street, they're universally bad. That's the opposite side of the thing we're trying to avoid here. We don't want to do either of those things, do we? Because if you look up, if you put it on your computer and you look up the last, just Google the last 20 white-collar crimes and see how much time they got and who they scammed. I can definitely speak to the point to say that um doesn't matter what victim it is, if you're talking about um poor victim or if it's a rich victim, it's definitely being taken care of. But um what you see now is you find that <clears throat> specifically, um, I can speak to within the uh, bureau, is that you spend a lot of attention and resources are going to uh, terrorism. So when you look at white collar crimes, it's kinda like, Oh, those things don't matter or the attention is not being given to it right. like it should and that seems to be a problem now because People's fears with terrorism seem to take priority. So uh, when you look at things like drug crimes, or um, <clears throat> we talked about the big thing with the NSA and Big Brother looking over, and people talking about, well, you know, is this going to be used against the common criminal or in my own personal privacy? From my understanding, I mean, from what it appears to be, the government don't care about problems in the hood. You see, you know, Chicago every day. Every day you wake up, exactly. I wonder how many, how many people have been shot in Chicago over the weekend. It's not important to the big government. So it's those white-collar crimes and stuff like that, it's not really an issue because things like terrorism are, are being taken over or being given priority. And being funded, that's a big thing, too. The funds that are going to it and the amount of resources kind of hinders that. Exactly. That's a good point. So that's, But that point is also why I say we must, conscious, we must be cautious not only who we – uh, continue to victimize who we scapegoat, we also have to be conscious about who we attempt to demonize and what purpose are we doing so. Because a lot of times, you need a common enemy to get people to act without thinking. And that's a common theme throughout history. So whenever somebody says this group of people is universally bad and I should oppose them, that puts up I'm being manipulated red flag in my mind. So we have to be cautious about both is my point. Well, I, look, I agree with doing, like, absolutes are pretty, uh, you know, awful sometimes, you know. But um, <laughs> what I'm saying is, in, 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 in general, in general, um, greed isn't good, and neither is selfishness. No. And and Wall Street represents selfishness as a whole, okay? And does to pretend it, like it does. Are, are you sure about that, though? And Am I banks, sure? And the banks, too. Are you, are you kidding me? Wait a minute. To even ask that question, you're telling yourself. The mortgage. No, I, I, no, I'm being. I'm, I'm not being facetious, but I'm saying yes, too. You are. When people make the. Am but, I sure? No, I'm not Am I sure the Wall Street make the case, is selfish? <laughs> no, 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 okay, no, so no. Let me no. ask you this. Here, tell you what. Let me ask you a question. You work on Wall Street, right? No, no, no. I'm a trader. Do you work I don't on Wall Street? Wall Street to trade. Yeah, I'm a okay, trader. You said you work in the stock market, right? Yes. Is it a bunch of selfish people who would yes. easily and not give a shit 
if they crashed the milk market and a bunch of people didn't have milk or grain absolutely, or a particular food? Yeah, hot oh, really? That point is false. Okay. Are they selfish? Right. Yes, but who isn't? Are they malicious? Well, then, therefore, you just answered my original thing. They're selfish. So they're selfish. Well, who is and it? And that's the only, that's my point. The only sin, but that's hey, my man, point. the only sin on earth is selfishness. The only sin. That's not even you a shoot sin. Somebody, you rape somebody, that's not a sin at all. you're being selfish. If you shoot somebody, no, you rape no, somebody. No, 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 no. You shoot, that's not rape, a, or steal, you're being selfish. But that's where the semantics come. Okay. Yeah, that's that's not what I'm saying. You're you're doing a, a false Name something that's not selfish. When you're selfish, when you do, when you are selfish by the basic definition of the word, that just basically means that you are acting in your own interest. That does not mean necessarily that that's a zero right, here, sum game. Okay, so that means, for, for example, going to work. No, no, no. I give, I give you, I give you an example. Going to hey, work. Wait, wait, wait. No. Let me just rephrase the original statement and just say they are okay. addicted to selfishness. How about that? Okay. I wouldn't say and that either game. because their job. How about that? No, no, no. Because <laughs> on Wall Street, people don't understand what they actually do, but they have opinions on them. A lot of stuff that you care about, a lot of businesses, a lot of things that you care about would not even exist if it wasn't for someone investing in them. It wouldn't happen at all. None of zilch, the clothes you got on your back, none of that. So to make the assertion that Wall Street is maliciously self, can they be? Absolutely. So can doctors, lawyers, engineers, anybody, right? They have control over money. But don't, uh, don't even put yourself under the illusion that, if Wall Street did anything different, you know what I'm saying, you'd be better off. Because, like I said, hey you would, hey where do you get the money from? Isn't Wall well, Street, let's take it up to the basics here. Isn't Wall Street populated by people who have more than they need? That's a that's a loaded question, because who are you to define Man, what they Man, no, they ain't loaded. It's, yeah, it's loaded with the truth, motherfucker. What are you talking about? No, I'm saying it's a loaded question, because you're, you're, making, you're making the assertion that you can decide for someone else what it is that they need based on your own pre-existing biases. Yeah, How am I supposed and, to know and that? And a crazy person, hey, a crazy person can think they need your life, Okay. Every time they do something but good. But what does that have to do with it? Every every time they do something good, like you said about the clothes and all this stuff, you're saying that they don't make no money. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not okay, even cause, the point. Cause the point I'm saying is what they being do, malicious. They don't make money. Wait a minute. Stop yelling. Shit. But, but <laughs> they don't make money. Job. They don't no, make money. They don't make money. They wouldn't do it, they 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 would do hey, it hey. if they weren't going to make money. They would not even... Think about it if they every, weren't going to make money. And every job but no, ain't but right. No doctor, hey, no every doctor job, would take a tumor out of your chest hey man, if they didn't get paid either. So what difference is that? Well, look, every, oh, oh, they every job ain't good. The whipcracker had a job. He was getting paid. He's going to make it good. Shit. That's a, that's a strong man. Well, here's what, here's you're what talking about when someone's paid to do something malicious, and that's not the case here. You're trying and to make the assertion that if I trade I'm saying... I'm, I'm saying that if hey, I'm saying that if stocks rise when workers' salaries drop, it is malicious. And that's my point. That's what I'm trying to but, point but out. But you're also I'm making proud. the assumption again. That's a that's a lack of understanding about Wall Street because if the stock the market, market goes up, that has little to do with wages. That's the whole point. That doesn't necessarily coincide because you, your stock oh, really? can. Can remain the same when you raise raises. So, Are you telling me that people who invest more in a business 
that has lowered its bottom line by lowering its workers' salaries or reneging on their retirement funds or whatever else? Of course they will. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. No, 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 no. You're, you're wrong. I'm telling you about how I would invest with salary. Right? No, I know. That I'm is not, not the only you would do anything that goes into it. You're I'm an anomaly. You're an anomaly. You're a special I'm person. I'm not. How do you know? You don't like it. You are. It. But you know how I'm you not are. an anomaly. You know That's how a point. You are because That's you point. got out of religion. Okay, and you're here talking about it. No, you're, not. you're okay, rare. That's a man argument. We're talking about money. I'm not an anomaly. We're talking about greed. I'm greedy. My goal is to maximize my profit for my investment. And I'm trying to tell you what goes into my thinking when I decide what part of what company I want to buy. And I'm trying to tell you, if a, take Costco. Costco is an activist company. They have the highest wages out of any supermarket. Much, at least one and a half times higher than the next largest. They are the antithesis to Walmart. But guess who's balling out on the stock market? So that's what I'm who? trying to tell you. Who? 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 Wait, 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 the Costco. Who's balling out on? Who's balling out on the stock market? Costco. Costco is killing no. Walmart in this quarter. Yes, they are. This year, they're right. killing them. They've been forced. He's right. He's right. He's right. He is absolutely right. Okay, wait, wait, wait. That's wait. what I'm telling you. It's not that Walmart. It's dry. Wait a minute. Who has more stores? It's not a value. It doesn't matter. Who Who's more valuable? It's, it's not about that. It's, 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 it's about who's more valuable. It's about market share and dividends, and Costco is beating the hell up out of Walmart this quarter. That's true. Because you don't have to pay people slave wages. Wall Street will do things that make money, and Costco wants to make money, but they also know that you don't have to pay people slave wages to turn a decent profit to your shareholders. Not to mention, do you know the where CEO the flaw has is the man? lowest pay in industry. Do you know where the they flaw is where they make money? But the flaw in what you're talking about is both places are selling things made by slave labor all across the planet. Okay, that's a, again, that's a red hair argument, but we can go into the real politics. No, it ain't. It's a checkmate. No, 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 no. You're saying well, you're, slave yeah, labor. That's not a checkmate. That's not a I'll give you an example. Checkmate. Take Malaysia. Huh? Take Malaysia. Wait a minute. But they bought the same Malaysia, right? They were made with slave labor, right? But you're saying that due to American exceptionalism. You have your biases. I'm not saying that they're right, but when you take Malaysia, let's go to Malaysia. Let's say that Costco's factory in Malaysia that represents shirts, they have the highest pay in their economy, but it's ten times less than what our uh, – let's not forget we have minimum wage in our country, right? So who's to say it's slave labor according to us, a rich country with a minimum wage, but in Malaysia they're the highest people pay in the economy? So, again, I'm just trying to caution you against making sweeping generalizations against complex systems and trying to make it boil down to a matter of ethics when ethics themselves aren't even that simple. That's all I'm well, here, you, it, it, I'm not it, saying it, it's all look, good. It I'm not saying like it's all this. bad either. It can be simplified like this. We're all in this big group. It can't be simplified at all. That's the point. That's the whole point. Right. You can't simplify right. that. It, 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 right. Because what I'm saying is you're arguing, saying it's too complex to share. That's what you're saying over and over again. I'm not saying nah, that. If I nah, wanted to say that, no, 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 you're trying to put words in my mouth. I didn't say that because I did. I made no. the case that Costco can make money by paying its workers a decent wage. It's all over Forbes. 
is, is, is there. But you were trying to make the case that people, if I necessarily want to make money, or if I'm on Wall Street making money, you're trying to attempt to make the argument that that's necessarily bad when that's nowhere and in the ballpark remotely being true. Who can't make a profit if your products are made with slave labor? Who couldn't do but that? But you're making the assumption. But, but look at your language. How do you know it's made out? Slave labor means I'm not being compensated. And if I'm being paid the highest in my country, how's that slave labor? Okay. If you can't how leave, if you can't quit a job and you can't kill yourself to get out, it may not be all the way to extreme slave labor, but it it's somewhere between slave labor and freedom. That's for damn sure. Yeah, but here's the thing. If I'm a business onto myself, which is how I tell people to think about labor, what country, what you're saying is the equivalent of saying that what country can survive if it had no customers? If all of them left tomorrow, then the country would collapse. So, therefore, the company is a slave to the customers. Who can, uh, obviously, that's the case. Of course you have to work for money. If you work for a certain amount of money, that could be due to policy, that could be improved, but there is not a single entity, human sentient entity on this planet, who's not slave to an other thing for its sustenance, company or otherwise. A company, by definition, is slave to its shareholders. That's a good point right there. And, and I want to point out that, again, in our black community, the biggest, one of our biggest problems is what this young man's pointing out, financial literacy. Out of all the other cultures that we have in our country, blacks are for the most, not because we're being treated unfairly, it's because we set ourselves up for the lack of financial literacy. The more we educate ourselves on this topic, the better we will get off. I also like the young man's point on scientific literacy, because when I see on Facebook or out here in my local area, Columbus, and we talk about things of science, I'm like, am I the smartest one about it? No, but when I'm around different peers, they don't know squat about it, and yet they are getting left behind. Every day to get further left behind, two things that I feel has happened, the lack of financial literacy, the lack of scientific literacy. As we can see, our understanding in the sciences is continuing to advance. In my opinion, we're starting to see the infancy of a space-based uh, economy. If we don't catch on now, we will fall further and further behind. We have set ourselves up to be scapegoated instead of taking the time and the energy to understand and to learn these things and make a profit for ourselves. It's not a sin. It's not against the law to make money. We all do something to make money. It's how can we educate ourselves to, one, make ourselves good money so that we can take, a, take care of ourselves, and secondly, take care, when we have that extra, take care of the different issues that we do care about that is important to us one and all. Exactly. I couldn't say, I couldn't say it better. But the notion that powerful plus more money than me plus mysterious equal evil is ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's the lack of education. It's going to be dark. It's going to be evil if we don't take the time to stop and learn about it and to understand it. That is key. Once we understand it, then we can better identify, then we can better articulate what is evil, what is dark, what is cruel. If we don't know anything, then we're going to generalize. That's what the church says. That's what their their, uh, believers do, their followers do. 
Exactly. Exactly. And that's and that's the the central point I was making because and I and I use the Wall Street defense because it's analogous to how people think about atheists and free thinkers. It's a largely under un, un uh, misunderstood group of intelligent people who are more than willing to argue with you that I don't understand. They therefore they have to be evil. There has to be something unethical about this person. You see what I'm saying? So that's exactly. why so, I, I caution right, so, against that. Against so Monsanto is trying to corner the, the market on seeds, correct? Genetically engineered seeds. Genetic engineering. That's what they're trying to corner the market on. And at the a same new time, field, use, the, use their genetically engineered seed to kill off the other seeds, correct? That's not. That's actually not true. Oh, really? Yeah, that, that point is actually not true. The Monsanto seed blows through the wind into the next farmers, and then they sue them out of business for using their seed. Exactly. They they, over they, as over of right again. now, that's what they're trying to do, but that's not the same thing wait, as wait, destroying wait, wait. seeds. That's what they've been again, doing we're entering for years. Okay. I know that right they there. are, but what you fail to realize, that genetic engineering is a new Thing. And we don't. And the laws on the books, as of right now, the same thing with drone technology and a lot of other things. Technology moves faster than the laws and ethics needed to match them. That's always been true in history. Monsanto Especially is no different. Especially when so what the they're people doing with is, money can control the laws. Okay, if you can buy, but if they were controlling control the, laws, the laws, Monsanto would be winning every case. But they don't. That's the point that I make. They put if they in did, the if they could, they wouldn't be in court now. They already won. It's the thing now that you can't they sue have them. Won- the thing is, but they're being sued now. That's what I'm saying. You can't, and you got other companies who can sue Monsanto. They're not the only person in the genetic engineering business. That's the point that I'm making. The laws lag behind technology. That's always the case. And what you're saying with Monsanto, with drones, is the same thing. It's the same thing. And people just now, we've been genetically engineering things for decades, and now people are angry? That goes to show you how the whole thing works. Even the public awareness of what we're capable of doing scientifically lags behind what's actually possible and what's going that's on. That's right. It's just, for that's example, what you're seeing. You're seeing the fallout from that. Right. For example, we know that we can seed clouds, we can make it rain. Okay, we can make it rain, but now you've got people running around talking about, well, our government... Uh, can make a hurricane and does all this destruction. That's ludicrous. Do you know how stupid that you sound? Exactly. And then when I go through and I start showing the numbers, how that's impossible, how that much energy being that, you know, focused into such a narrow beam, come on now, be real. Lightning has 50 times the uh, the magnetic field resonance of what they're saying controls that. But that's neither here nor there. The point is technology lags behind laws. So you're going to see arguments over court battles, genetic engineering, and on top of that, for every scientific thing that we discover, we have to have an ethics conversation. Like, for example, it is possible to genetically engineer humans, but that don't mean we should do it. That's That's a conversation we got to have. You see what I'm saying? It is what it is. We started out agreed, agreed, and then you said basically that um, to defend that was that everything was a slave structure. No, right. no. That, what I was saying is that it is, there's a difference between greed and selfishness. That's point one. Point two, selfishness is not a zero-sum game in that in order for me to gain something, someone else necessarily has to lose. That's not true, and that's the point I was making. 
Because when you do your profession, 90% of it is out of selfishness. 10% is the service you give anybody else, and it can vary percentages. But the point is, no one does things selflessly. So to use that as a measuring stick to determine what's malicious and what isn't is fallacious. So if I if I trade in coffee and me trading coffee on on Wall Street lowers the prices, or I'm selling the beans of some poor farmer in Nicaragua who can't get his beans to market to turn a profit, right? There's so many things you can say is wrong there, and there's so many things you can say is right. But who? But what's which one is it? Right. So basically, it's the, way no, more. No, but, but you're saying that. You're saying that the guy in New York or wherever you got your Wall Street thing going on, because you probably do it anywhere on the Internet, uh, whatever he wants yep. is basically, fuck that farmer. And who's to say that's wrong? No, I'm saying no, it wasn't. I'm selling his beans to turn him a profit on Wall Street, because that's what commodities trading is, right? That's how But somebody else is selling beans and short and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, right? It's all kinds of tricks, right? Oh, yeah, it's all kinds of tricks to everything because everybody's trying to make money, and there's also unethical people out there on top of that. But that ain't got nothing to do with the entire system itself. The system is only as good as the laws that regulate it, like anything else involving money. So, therefore, Kim's that, It just is what it is. So, what if there yeah. were no laws then? So, if there were no laws, then it's free fall? If there's no laws, then you have something called the Thomas Hobbes state of nature. And everything will be governed by human nature in terms of the avoidance of pain and the gravitation towards pleasure and basic math. Numbers win. So you'll go into that state of nature, and eventually you'll descend back into laws anyway. They'll be primitive, but lawlessness always tends to win out in the end off of the simple fact that cooperation and specialization yields more of a profit than individual greed. That's that's e- Drug dealers know that. You see what I'm saying? So, I mean, either way it go, you're going to tend towards regulation regardless. And don't ethics and morality play important in that? Because our laws are basically based off what's ethical and what's morale, morale based on what we define as a community. But ethics and morality is compartmentalized based on uh, human social group dynamics, right? So what's ethical to do in the black community suddenly becomes, you know, what's unethical to do to a black person is talked about as ethically doing to somebody else, Right. So, and, and if your community, theory, but generally speaking, if your community says they that be wrong, cutting too. off women's clits is a good idea, and then other communities say, "Hey, man, they're cutting off clits over there," now won't you just leave them alone? That's their community, right? Isn't what people say? Forget that. No, because I, I I agree with Sam Harris in terms of ethicality. Right. The goal is to maximize because what is pleasurable, what humans want, is a, is an objective thing. Right, generally as sentient creatures, right? Whatever allows a person, you know, their their pleasure, their happiness, or the right to pursue their end at the minimization of pain of others is generally what we tend towards. We'll never really reach that ideal, but if you think about every law, it has something to do with victimhood versus assailants and things of that nature. Right? So that's the goal, right? I'm saying you know what it's like to, for me to be stabbed. You might, you can empathize with me not wanting to get stabbed in the face with a bayonet. You probably could. You're not me. You wouldn't feel it if it did happen to me. But you can imagine what that's like, right? You can also imagine what it's like if I wanted to put a bayonet through your face, right? So, given that mutual fear, we got two options. I can kill you before you kill me, and I know in my mind that that might not work. So, Given probability theory, the best option is what? 
to agree to ban bayonets or to agree that we'll only use our bayonets under X circumstances. So it's a contract. And it's out of agreement because my whole reason... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you may be speaking and be coming up on the terms of uh, arguing for anarchism. Am I right? No, sir. I I don't believe... That anarchy is right. I believe in a social contract, and that was the point. The point I was making, though, is that anarchy is inherently an illusory idea in the sense that you will always tend, humans will always tend towards laws and structures, and if you have laws and structures, you will naturally have to create things in place to enforce them, which is exactly what a government is. So humans will, my argument is that anarchy is a fantasy, and that humans will tend towards governments regardless. We just need to decide on which government works best and for what reason to give us results that we want. Right, I agree with you. We've been having that argument for years now, I mean, for centuries. But um, I'm just trying to listen to you, and I'm trying to find you know, your balance between the two. When we got back, when we were right. on the uh, ideas of, you know, um, Wall Street and, you know, versus being selfish and greed. Because if there's no limits, because I think you made the point, well, if there was no laws, it was only bound by laws. I'm trying to find... Your defining point. What sets you across that line, or holds you, or holds you back? Hmm. What are you guided by? Self-interest. That makes sense. Self-interest. Because again, the, and I use the examples with the bayonets, with self-interest things of that nature. It is in my best interest to follow the laws of the country and the social contract, right? Because again, we have our anti-bayonet to the face law, right? This law frees me up to do other things because I don't have to presumably, at least in good faith, defend against a bayonet to the face attack, right? It's not in our best interest to be in constant fear of each other because as resources that's going to defense rather than agriculture or feeding our families or anything of that nature. We're spent now. It's, this is, I'm simplifying something that has that, that is what happens on the geopolitical scale because between countries there is a state of nature because there's no governing body between them all. We try to do that with NATO, League of Nations, things of that nature, but essentially throughout human history, governments, individual nation states, there's no one ruling them. So they act. The rules that I'm talking about is how they act with each other, right? It's in my best interest to make allies have treaties. What'd you say? No, no, no. Um, what was that? No, this is about black free thinkers in the, in, the, in the overtime of black free thinkers. And I was trying oh, to yeah. explain... I was trying to explain. I mean, I'm not good at explaining it, um, but um, you know, the one, one the one point that I don't like when people argue economics is when people say, "Where well, like uh, that guy, he lives over in the Philippines, and if you're in the Philippines, that's a pretty good job getting a quarter a day." Okay, and so mm-hmm. it like it's, <laughs> it's like um, well, I've never had. <clears throat> Well, I, I think that's why that's why the discussions of economics never involve the people that they're talking about, so that they can sit in their balconies and and, and bullshit and just um, spread greed and hatred and you know selfishness. But um, when the workers talk, you're going to you hear the truth, and that's why they don't. That's why they're never here. CNN roundtable money talk or whatever. You've got five millionaires talking about the problems of poverty. Um, world money what? talk on like PBS is five millionaires talking about. Poverty. Every single show is people that have never touched poverty, never been in the working class. They have no idea what they're talking about, <laughs> but, you know, they sit on top. They cover the world. They blanket the, the uh, conversation. 
And so what ends up is we say that when a kid has a dime, 11 cents is better. And, and then we go to bed. <laughs> it's like. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're right. There is there's definitely a disconnect there. And, you know, one of the things that I find interesting, you know, not interesting, I find it disheartening, is a lot of the issues, let's just say in minority communities just in general, when we speak out, you know, it pretty much falls on deaf ears in many cases. However, when, you know, a white person speaks about our issues, then it seems to be given more validity and credibility to certain audiences. You know, and again, you know, this is not everybody but certain audiences. But how is it that someone that's not a minority can speak to minority issues when they've never been a minority? And so, I mean, you know, that falls in line with what you're saying there. And, yeah, again, you know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the patriarchy and privilege and, you know, self-hatred, all of that, which is why it's important that we have shows and conversations like this. The conversation that, you know, took place today, I could just say that it was a great conversation, and I enjoyed myself. And, Ms. Curtis, make sure you friend me on Facebook because I would like to Oh, yeah, I'm a, I just found out from Raina yesterday about this show, and I really – Wanted to kind of uh, be involved and kind of talk to you guys. All you guys are brilliant, intelligent people, and it's uh, it's so refreshing. Is, what's your last name, Curtis? Uh, Maples, uh, like the syrup. M A P L E S. All right, Curtis Maples. All right, I'm looking for you too. Uh, add me on LinkedIn too if you guys want to um, want to network as well. All right. I never really use LinkedIn. All right. Well, um, I'm Travis. I'm, I'm Facebook slash Big Funny. Uh, we're gonna probably do a Funny to the Moon here this afternoon sometime. And, uh, that sounds sounds like fun. Talk Make about sure you tag me, Travis. Paula Dean, y'all. Paula Dean, Paula yes, Dean. Tag me, Travis. <laughs> tag me. Tag me so that, uh, gonna wear, so hey, that I'm on ball for your um, funny to the moon because I need to run out and give me something to eat. Kimmy needs a grilled chicken okay. sandwich in her life right about now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, I friended you, Curtis, and you know, re- you know, accepted you guys. This was an excellent conversation. I'm guaranteeing you guys are going to do a part two. So next week, intersectionality. The week after that, rape culture. The week after that, Raina and Mario will be handling the show, and I believe you know my other co-host. Everybody, they'll be participating. The week after that, we'll be doing victimization part two, and we can go more in depth. And I invite all of you guys to call back in. We had a caller from six seven eight. Did you want to add anything before we end this? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that um, this is the first time that I've had an opportunity to listen to your show, and I really appreciated all of the comments, um, especially with Curtis and Travis. It's always nice to see lively, intelligent, cogent banter. Um, and one of the most important things I want to mention is that Curtis being 27 years old, for those of us who are older, um, even though he says things that maybe might rub us the wrong way, we have to realize that he's part of the new frontier, and exactly. this is the new way. This is the new way of thinking. Now, I'm not going to say that there's a lot of youngsters out there that are thinking like he is, because right. evidently this youngster's done a lot of homework. He's done a lot of reading. Um, and I like the way that he approached 
subjects from a philosophical standpoint in the sense that he was able to interject ethics and morals. And I also feel like him and Travis were pretty much on the same page. They were just kind of coming from different directions. I could be wrong on that. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think you guys are much more alike than you are different. And I was just very impressed with all of you. I think it's a wonderful show. And it's unfortunate that as a black community, we don't sit down and have these type of discussions more often. It should be every day. And I think Kim's trying to exactly. do that. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Travis, you got that right. I mean, we did, we try to do it every day. It's rough. It's way better than Facebook. Cause I do this on Facebook, but it's like it's good to hear voices and interact and hear people's see people hear people's emotions, and, and you can really connect with them that way that you can't having a Facebook debate. So I think that's right. right. Hey, what right. Are y'all about that? Yeah. Kim, I know you got to eat, okay? But I I don't get to talk to five or six black folks at the same time very often. Um, and, and you said you got to eat chicken, and you know what it tastes like already, so you can wait. Um, but what I was <laughs> <laughs> but what we talked about on Funny to the Moon and what we'll probably talk about again today, I don't know when Tana wants to do it, maybe 1 or 2 o'clock, maybe, next, like, maybe take an hour break and come back at one thirty or something, uh, Pacific. Um, but we were saying that, well, why do white people want to say the N-word? That was one of the questions. And then was, if you really do want to say it, you got to give something up. So how about when the percentages of uh, people in the country match the percentages that are arrested, fine. And y'all can say the N-word all you want. <laughs> but until that time, you, you know, you got too much privilege already. Well, white people, people white people want, want to say the N-word. White people want to say the N-word because we've marketed it now. That's right. It wasn't, it wasn't marketed before. I think South Park. We marketed, we marketed that word through that. the rap industry. Because they point. started it, and they had a 400-year head start on us. But at the same yeah. time, they had a 300-something year head start on using the word. So the thing what, is that right. I want to uh, caution. The one thing I want to caution with the N-word, things of that nature, is I, me, because maybe because I'm younger, I don't know, but I am 0% offended by it, and this is why. Because, you know, once you enter the halls of education and being around educated people, you start to not care about words, but the ideas meant to express them. Because you can destroy an entire country with perfect, non-offensive English. It's done all the time. But when somebody has a particular word, I don't care about the sound oscillations used to represent an idea. I care about the idea itself. And when a white person says it, it's the sheer unknown of how this person is meaning it due to a cultural barrier and his historical significance. When a black there you person go. You know what? It goes back to the cognitive. said earlier, and he was making the point about how when you hear a rustle in the bush, is it uh, is it a tiger or is it the wind? Somebody says, exactly. it's a tiger. Do I got to run or are they friends? Yeah. Exactly. Way, it's the avoidance. Humans, humans are in avoidance of type Two errors with a black person. I know if I assume that when a black person calls me a nigga, if I assume that that's a, a term of endearment more than this assault, I'm going to be right more than I'm wrong. I could be wrong sometimes, but that's not the point. The goal is to be right more than I'm wrong. If a white person says it, 
I might be making a type 2 error and thinking that this person is benign when this person is actually insulting me. So it's best to assume okay, that now, everybody um, was. Because at one point in time, that was the case. You see what I'm saying? Well, let's run. Same what thing. about this experiment? Let's say, let's say maybe the 300-year head start is a, is a great point. So let's run this experiment. I'm Samoan. So far, we don't have any epithets. We don't have any racial slurs that I've heard yet about a Samoan. We ain't, we're not called Siggies or Sammies or... There's nothing yet. So what should we do? What would be your advice? If black people did have the chance to stop it, nip it in the bud, would you have? So would you counsel other ethnic minorities, when words start forming about your ethnicity, crush that shit. Don't find humor in it. Don't make it marketable. You know, is it, would black people have done something well, differently you can't crush it. if it wasn't such a crush You're not going to be able to crush it. It's already a crush move in the sense that yeah, any white yeah, person that. with something to lose any white person with something to lose or who has money in a public platform will get destroyed if they racist on TV. But my thing right. is, this whole co- debate has the silent implication of suggesting that white people only have the power to suggest the meaning of words. And right. that's the exactly. one, and that's a very powerful right. thing. Exactly. So when exactly. some people say, "Well, we should kill it, we should be offended," I'm like, "Who the hell are they to tell me what this word means? If I want to exactly. repurpose it, it's my power as a human being. It can mean tree tomorrow, and there's nothing you can do about it." And that's the way I agree with that point. One of my, one of my, one of my stand-up bits really is what somebody's going to just say two syllables and what. I got to turn into the Incredible Hulk. I'm not doing that. Well, I, I, I agree I with that. that um, I think that the Jewish people, the Jewish culture, would disagree with this sentiment. That there's a, you've got to fight. You've got to bring it up. Don't let everybody say. You know, the, when we talk about the Holocaust, we we get shivery and we're nervous because we know we stay away from that. But we can joke around and dick around about Black American slavery. There's a million jokes, but the Jews will not allow that talk. They fire people. They get people in trouble. They do uh, campaigns to newspaper editors. They refuse to allow... We are still trying to catch slave catchers either. They just caught an SS captain. They just caught an SS captain last week. Jews are still trying to find Nazis, and they're still looking for family. This This was just in 1946. There is no slave owners still existing. There are no black people who sold black people into slavery alive. We fought a war over it. We've killed... 20% 20% of the southern population in World War II of males, the vast majority of the population. And they still and keep mad. In mind, and no, and no, no. You want to know why they mad? Because it's about class. It's about class. You want to know why? Think about this. 1.4% of the entire household, according to the 1860 census, owned slaves. 1.4%. And you got the entire country, the vast majority of whom, who, though they participate in the system, got zero percent of the wealth that was generated by the top five percent, yet 20 percent of them died fighting it. So black people in the whole class is just a buffer so that rich people don't have to explain to poor whites why they don't have the wealth generated from slaves because now they have turned race into currency. They say, well, I may be poor, but at least I'm white. I say um, there wouldn't have been any uh, uh, slaves in the first place if rich white people were willing to pay poor white people a proper wage. They wanted to exactly. do they had, So again, that, and that's why I say it's more complicated than race. And there, there were riots and revolts behind that because some of the poor whites, and I, I, talk, I talked about this on the, the God Discussion show, 
about how some of the poor whites were basically rioting and fighting against some of the slaves because they felt that they couldn't perform those jobs for the wages that the slaves were doing for free. And see, that's not taught in history class about some of the revolutions. And then look at the Reconstruction period. Look, the Reconstruction yeah. period was more to say. You have 4.5 million workers who spent the last few centuries working in a reconstruction period at the turn at the height of the industrial revolution, right? Who do you think you're going to compete with now? And they're going to work for a fraction of the cost and they're going to vote and we're heavily concentrated in one area, you have zero power. So what you get, the Ku Klux Klan. So that's what I'm saying. Things are complicated, which is why as a recurring theme when I have these discussions is to look at it through cold, calculating, objective lenses, because that's where you get the truth at. The truth is not, oh, well, I'm black, so this is going to make me work for free because I'm black. It would seem like then then to be cold and calculating with these issues, then then they become very simple and basic, and they return to skin color. Because when you look at prison, prisons are the ultimate experiment. I wouldn't say that. Pages locked up. What happens in every prison? Every brown person goes to every brown person, every white person, every Asian. They all separate naturally. There's not one prison that that's not true about. They all you you're gonna go to your color in in total desperation in like abject like uh, imprisonment and like lack of anything good. You go to your people. There's something about us that we like the faces that look like ours. And well, not not even it's not even faces. It's about culture. It's about culture. I mean, that's human nature. That we're we're social creatures and we divide ourselves against complex groups. But I'm saying when you look at it from when I mean cold and calculating, I mean completely objective and. Human beings separating on the basis of color, creed, hell, we'll separate, if we were all the same, we would separate based on who likes baseball. Human beings divide themselves in groups simply because there is an evolutionary biological uh, advantage to strength in numbers. We do it naturally without even thinking about it. Nobody tends towards an individual. You see what I'm saying? And on top of that... You, you see what I'm saying? Exactly. And then on top of that, you're talking about type 2 errors versus type 1 error. Who is now the – here's the fact of the matter is I'm more likely to be shot in the face by a black person than a white person, but who am I going to trust in the fight every time? And that's that's the same thing. It's, the, it's human cognition. And when you boil it down well, anyway, to, you to use the, the absolute primitive right nature. But, you know, so I'm saying you I'm know more likely – that's yeah, not an absolute. That's that actually you, uh, demonstrably true. Right, right, because right. A white you, person, a white person is more likely to be killed by a white person. If you think, but I didn't say white, that. Well, but no, actually, I you're probably more likely to be killed by food, and whoever owns the company is probably no, that's not true. Not black. That's not that's not true. I'm more likely to be shot and killed, homicide. I'm more likely to be a victim of homicide by somebody of my own race and community than anybody else, and what that's true for everybody on the planet. I'm in Cincinnati, but that's true for all human societies. Oh, okay. You are more a white person is far more, and this is the story with, about the dangerous black guy. A white person is far more likely, on the magnitude of eight to nine times more likely, to be killed by another white male than by a black person of any, of any racial demographic at any level of the socioeconomic spectrum. And that's the point. But who are white people going to trust? They're going to trust someone who looks like them because that is biologically ingrained and it has nothing to do with the facts. And that's the whole point that I'm making. Basic anthropology. 
I'm going to be right more times than I'm wrong. It is what it is. I might get shot. It's a possibility. But if I go towards people with whom I have common interests to corral myself around, I'm going to be right more than I'm wrong. Who cares about if I'm wrong on occasion? That's the whole point. Well, the, but, I, but I say, you know, like when they say white people are racist. If we're talking about American white people, they are all racist. You know, the, the white people that have been born and raised in this country, to, to be able to find some little glimmer of respect and a love for other races when the justice system, right, um, loves you, the police force loves you, the loan system, the banking system, the education, everything about being white in America, you have privilege. There's not one thing that you don't get easier, better, and cheaper than the brown man in this country. Now, if you're white and you've gone through this system and you're not racist, and you're not racist, that would blow my mind. That you were able to go through I the process human, of racism is a human thing. I don't care about racism. I care about discrimination. I care about power. Human beings will always find a reason to not like somebody else, another group of people. We love right. to fight, and we will kill the shit out of each other. True. And we I, I always will. I, 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 so I want to give an example the that The only way, the only way really people, I would suggest maybe, so some people say that uh, the only way that people on Earth would get it together would be if some aliens came from someplace else and were trying to kill all of us. And we get it Then we would fight them. Or we colonize another. Or we colonize somebody. It has to be us versus them. There has to be an adversary. It can be imaginary or it can be real. The point is, my whole thing is, it's how we are humans. So we can manage this. Animals, other animals cannot. And that's the difference, right? So we just need to decide the conditions <laughs> on which we fight. Human beings will always be racist. It's easy. You don't look like me. That is the easy. And, and, and the brain consumes energy. It wants to use the least amount of energy possible, which is why we use heuristics. You are not going to see somebody that you met on the street and analyze what they've been doing and who they are over the past 30 years. It's impossible. You're not. You are going to use rule of thumbs. As long as right. human beings think like that, there will always be isms. Women, you're not going to, the majority of them can't beat me in a fight. That is the basis for patriarchy. And men treat other men that way because it's about power. So if you can't beat me in a fight, if you can't defeat me, you got to do what I say. That is a very primal, that is a very animalistic tendency that we are only managing. It's still there. And if you, if you notice from the earlier conversation, we still have problems with it. It's never going away. So that's the thing. We just need to have, we use our systems to manage these instincts. You'll never get rid of them. It's never going to happen. Right, but let me let me piggyback let me let me piggyback on what Travis just exactly. said in relationship to what Curtis just said. The thing that brings people together is always conflict and catastrophe. The the thought or the feeling of a threat. And this goes right. without getting into a whole particular stuff, specific stuff. This is related to what Travis is saying. This was related to what Curtis was saying, and this was related to what the uh, gentleman was saying earlier about the whole element of racism. Racism is a tool used against the masses. And as long as there is a threat, as as long as it doesn't manifest itself, it, it doesn't matter. It just has to be a perceived threat. As long as it doesn't manifest itself, yeah, we're going to draw those lines in the sand. But as soon but as the it manifests itself, we'll all band together. 
for a common yeah, black people are racist uh, against each other. But wait a minute, what people are racist against each other of too. all these people thinking and worrying about getting Paula Dean? Well, I've said nigger before, and so they're they're, they're worried now. I don't, you know what? I haven't really been. No, they're not. No, they're not. People are shocked that she's getting destroyed. (laughs) And there are actually black people talking about, like, damn, did they go too far? Because right Right. now in this country, if you're white and you have something to lose, you need to keep your racist opinions to yourself. Because right now, you got another force against, it's not just black people, it's about white people who work painstakingly to not be appeared that way. So they get pissed. When you got one person, because now we're going to paint all of them with the same brush. Just like you're, when you were black person, when you get on the phone. Exactly. When, you get, when I'm black and I get on the subway and some ratchet dude come in there and there's white people on there and he acting crazy, that, that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach thinking that, all oh, shit, everybody on this bus is going to think that we're together now. Exactly. That is, that is not a black phenomenon. Trust me. It just manifests right. differently. You know, so now even black people, we know, it's no secret, we deal with institutional racism. We deal with the remnants of laws and systems that were put into place being ignorant to black people. Now it's it's about being ignorant to the black experience rather than actual, I'm making this law because I know it will destroy you, right? Like the war on drugs, for example. And one one of the things I think that's kind of dishonest about this outrage is that it kind of says, do what you want, say what you want, teach your kids what you want. But if you're a TV personality, you're a public figure, just don't bring it up front or you'll be in trouble. You know what I mean? The conversation isn't that we need to eradicate these feelings, these energies from slavery, from Jim Crow, whatever, get rid of them forever, right? But there's kind of this, well, you know, just don't get caught. You know, call it, call it being fucked up. That, know, that's the like, way of the world, it, though, is it not? There's, there's kind of a... What's that? Are we gonna make it illegal? Are we gonna make it illegal for her to teach her kids to say nigger? Is that right? That's stupid. No, no, she can she teach her kids to say whatever. That's crazy. She can say whatever. Nobody said she can't say whatever. We're just saying if you if you're gonna be loud and loose with, have you really saw one of those videos they showed of her? Um, they showed how she was like trying to show that she wasn't. That she brought some black guy over over the thing, and then said, "Look, come, come, on, come over here, uh, whatever his name was. I can't see you by that blackboard." Right, right. I think you should have got destroyed. I, I think we there are it. social rules that you yes. don't cross. And I got let me, my let me ask you this question because I, I know you remember this, sir. I know you remember this, and this is related to what we're talking about now. You remember when Jimmy the Greek, and they oh, interviewed yeah. him when he was out at a he was I think he was at a function and he was drinking, and all of a sudden he had a microphone in his face, and they asked him a question, and he was talking about how genetically the black person was superior than the white person. Which was why they and were, we were good in sport. We but did you see how they? But that. my point, my point in bringing that up is, did you see how they humanized him? Oh, they got rid of him quick. They got rid of him real quick. They do that. They do that a lot. And, but uh, and, and was he was he telling the truth though? My question is, was he telling the truth? He was telling the truth, the truth as far as 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 as, as a black woman being raped on the regular and being. Forced to uh, marry, you know, uh, the biggest 
the biggest brother, you know, because he makes some big No, I'm, I'm just talking about the sports element of it. I'm just talking about the sports element of it. The fact that black players well, were superior well, to white players. Oh, yeah, and, that's true. In some positions. I mean, so you have to talk that when, like that. when we talk about, sometimes we say, like, oh, what are we going to do, pass the law for this, pass the law for that? I think sometimes we're being too cavalier. Look at the laws that we have passed. You know, um, if a woman has her shirt off, listen how benign this is. A woman has her shirt off. You can engage our law enforcement officials, the people with guns and fast cars, will go. We have a law, a simple shirt off. We've developed it. And if she's walking toward the park with kids, we, we might send half a dozen squad cars. We, we have created stupid, silly, ignorant laws where we can engage our law enforcement people for nothing. And I think a shirt off for a woman, why can't we transfer that to yelling at a child at a grocery store, hearing the N-word at a restaurant? Why not? Why not make it actually illegal? Just because like these silly. You can't because you can't regulate you that. Have, you can't regulate that. But how but are we going to use a woman with a shirt off? We're attempting. We're attempting to regulate that. We're saying call the cops. You can write this. We will come. Our society will come. Get rid of this nudity. Like a man has a pants off in a grocery store. If, if somebody is if somebody's smoking some weed. Yes, we will go, we will get them. Our society has said, call us on these issues. If there's a dick slapping down aisle nine, give us a call, we will stop it. Your society will send guns, and we will stop it. Why not? I heard the N-word. This person... You want people going to jail or being prosecuted for saying nigger? No, no, he's saying... Well, Hell he's, no. You know. no. I'm, I'm just trying to understand. I'm just trying to understand. I'm just trying to understand. We're he's just saying that, it, that when, when people say no, 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 no law, he's saying that it ain't that far away. If you can, if if there's laws against rap, then there's, there could be laws against words. I mean, it, it, okay, it, it, got, it. got it, got it. That's a that's but that's a fallacy because here here's the thing that you gotta realize: there is social penalties to things, and there are legal penalties to things. Paula Dean did not break the law, but her ass got cashed out for a few million dollars. You see what I'm saying? There's 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 you know, you could have to be, look at the but could it be with politicians? Saying, hey. saying a word is an action. You know, saying a word is also swinging a fist to me. You're, you're implying something. Just say, like, get out of here, I'm going to kill you. They are just words, but he could also be silent and wave a sword over my head. I get the same impact, and, and, and it means the same. So when somebody speaks, they are also doing an action. They are also being forceful. They're saying, like, coming up next, I might shoot you. I mean, so words, when someone says nigger, I go for what they're implying. They're implying violence. They're implying hatred. It's like, so that's an action that this person's thing as much as they're waving a gun. And, we, and when someone waves a gun, they do get arrested. And, what, and, they, if you're raising, and they got some guns. <laughs> if you're waving <laughs> racist words, words aren't you implying that my words are... I mean, can't racial slurs my, be like the puffs, of, the puffs of steam at Yosemite? Can't the racial slurs show us something's about to happen, right? There's little puffs of steam. This thing's about to geyser. Um, I think there's something valid for me in that. When someone is racist, when they talk and they use these words, look out. You know, they're building just – it's not benign. It's not like they – you know, they're using these words. Paula Dean is saying these words specifically. It comes from her culture and her privilege. I, I mean, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. But just like Curtis said earlier, we man, we got to get more sophisticated. We really do. 
in yeah. our thinking. We really got to get more sophisticated because we got so many laws on the book now. Man, I don't even know 25% of the laws that are on the books. And I, I, right. would, I, would, argue, I would argue that everybody sitting here, no matter where you are, I'm in Georgia. I don't know 25% of the laws in Georgia, and I try to stay as informed as I can. And it's we just and, and we I can't think keep when we talk about, um, but it's a, it's a, it, it's not even about the law, and that's what I'm trying to say. You can't make somebody's opinion of you illegal. I don't care what it is. If you think schizophrenic people think that purple L still in socks at night, your subjective opinion about what somebody says to you cannot be legislated against. If somebody has an opinion, I'm a mud person. You want to say that to me? That's their opinion. I will. I believe in the right to free speech, and the, I believe in a person's right to offend me because I'm for sure going to offend somebody, and I never <laughs> want that right. To if you want yep, to say, you want to see that? Exactly. You that's the whole point. And you, say, and you, you got say something that may be offensive and ruin a reputation. I'm pretty sure you'll hear about it from HR in the morning. So you have that right. You have that free speech. There are consequences. Exactly. You call me a mud person. You can say what you want on social media, but if it gets screenshotted, be careful. But you had a right to say it. I'm gonna knock you clean out, but you have every right, and I would knock somebody else out for denying you the right to call me a nigger, and y'all both will be knocked out. One for keeping you from saying it, and you for saying it. That's how it goes. That's how America. Yeah, it is, and that's why.